Blog Talk Radio.
welcome to Africa on the Move. My name is Haiki. Again, I'm sitting in for Brother Africa, who's still in Venezuela. Uh, of course, we wish Brother Africa all the best in terms of his uh, networking in Venezuela. Uh, he's been sending us numerous pictures in terms of some of the events taking place in Venezuela. And it seems like uh, you've got a lot of people, uh, you know, from all over the world, you know, apparently who have a lot to say. And so, of course, knowing Brother Africa, I'm sure he's going to contribute mightily to that discussion around which way forward for humanity. Now, before we get started today in today's show, uh, let me just introduce my panelists real quickly. I'm going to ask my panelists to talk a little bit about themselves, an opening statement, and um, why is it that you participate on Africa on the Move? And I'll start with you, uh, Brother Maurice. Yes. Uh, my name is Brother Maurice. Um, I have been a Pan-Africanist a worker of the people for over 12 years now, um, probably longer since I was a teenager, um, uh, right here in the city of Richmond, Virginia. And if I understand your question uh, correctly, uh, Brother Haki, uh, one of the reasons uh, I, I like to uh, contribute to uh, be a uh, participant on, on the show of Africa on the Move because it's, 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 a, it's, it's a very informative show. You will get the real, the real deal of what's going on in the African community, in the African community, community around the world. You, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't get this news any, any, you know, you know where else on a Sunday uh, evening, let alone. So um, this is one of the reasons I love to participate on this show. Um, just the wealth of information, um, not only participating but also learning. I'm by participating and listening, I learn a lot of information that I did not know prior to tuning in. But, uh, Brother Haki, I thank you so much for having me here tonight again, and I, I wish uh, I wish the absolutely best safe travels for Brother Africa, and I'm looking forward to his return. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother. Next, let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, a little bit about yourself. Your opening statement. Okay, my this is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. Um, I'm pro-choice, and I vote. And I'd just like to say um, equal rights amendment, yes, E-R-A, yes. Um, women hold up half the sky. And I love Africa on the move because it's, it's, it's down at the ground level with the people, and uh, it's got the people's voices coming through, and I get to hear and listen to, and uh, and and I love the people, and that's and, uh, – and it's, it is dearest to my heart to be able to speak to the people. And uh, I just thank you for this opportunity. Have a good evening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Brother Moses. All right, listen, let's get down to some real talk. You know, often, you know, there's been uh, much discussion around the question of depopulation. Uh, of course, you know, there are many among us in society who believe that this whole concept of depopulation is somewhat of a myth. Uh, people don't believe, in fact, this is an ongoing ideology in terms of minimizing the number of people, you know, you know, throughout the world. Recently, they had they had a uh, judicial commission 
for the inquiry into weaponization of the biosphere uh, that was held in Europe. And they had a, a, a interviewee by the name of Dr. Robert Young who talked about depopulation. And specifically, he talked about depopulation as related to Bill Gates and also Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of State. And he particularly talked about the Davos Conference. And Davos, of course, is the conference they have, you know, every two years, well, every two years, every two or three years, they have this conference. Essentially, they talk, all the people with money and power get together and talk about which way the world is going to go. And so they talked about the role in terms of depopulation. And one of the things that came out in this meeting, they talked about the fact that Bill Gates desired to eliminate 3 billion people uh, from the planet, particularly, specifically Africa. Now, my question to the panelists, and I'll start with you, Brother Maurice, why, why Africa? Why the elimination of such such large number of people in Africa? I mean, given the fact that uh, Africa has over a billion people, so when you talk about eliminating three billion people, you're talking about a sizable uh, elimination of the population in Africa. So why Africa, Brother Maurice? Uh, yes, and it's a great question because when you when you look at history, the answer is right there. Um, Bill Gates wanted to basically uh, create fake rice, uh, a GMO, a fake rice to feed Africans that would ultimately lead to other illnesses and then that would transition to death. But if you look back at history, um, a lot of massacres in Africa took place. And Harare, uh, up in uh, Namibia, Nim- uh, Nim- uh, Nim- <laughs> I struggle with the, with the name, but... Uh, Namibia. Namibia. Namibia, thank you. <laughs> I struggle with the with the name Namibia, but you know in Namibia um, and Zimbabwe, a lot of ma- massacres took place in Africa, and, and and what we have is squatters living on the land, uh, Europeans colonizing colonizing the land and living on it. Uh, even I, the director or the creator of the boys and uh, I'm sorry, not the boys and girls club, but the the Boy Scouts, uh, General Robert Betting uh, Powell. He participated in a lot of genocides against the Shanti, the Zulu uh, peoples, to take their land. So this is something that they they do throughout history. And Bill Gates know know exactly what he's doing. He wants the land. Uh, he you know they, they want the land for who? For for a certain class of people, for a certain uh, type of people. Um, it's definitely definitely like not, it's not for Africans and bad depopulating Africans or killing off Africans, because that's what it is. That's what it's ultimately doing. Killing off Africans, um, basically, it would basically put, how can I say this? It would basically put Africa or Pan-Africanism at a more dire stance of achieving full Pan-Africanism, as uh, explained by Kwame Nkrumah, first president of Ghana. Total liberation of Africa under a united uh, scientific socialist system. This is what the not only I'm not specifically saying the European, but a certain type of European, the capitalist or neo-colonialist African, of that matter, a certain type of African and a certain type of European. They don't want to achieve this. They don't want us to achieve this in Africa. So this is why Bill Gates. Um, this is why Bill Gates is focusing on depopulating Africa. It's no different than the, the scramble for Africa. In 1883, it's no, it's no difference than the, the amount of wars and the genocide that took place. It's famine. You have thousands and thousands of Africans. They call them migrants. But they are, we, these are brothers and sisters who are dying at the sea to, to, run, to run away from the war, from the famine, 
from the from the diseases that are killing our people on a daily basis. So this is what we are talking about. And and, and I conclude and I and I and I end with this, uh, brother Hackey. Uh, it was it was an article in the new in the New Africa magazine that that had an article about. Uh, Samir, it was a South African Marine Institute uh, research organization, if I'm saying it right, but the acronym is Samir, S-A-M-I-R, South African Marine Institute Research, or whatever, uh, if I'm saying the title correctly. But it was an article in a New African magazine about 2018 that, that explained and that confirmed that HIV and AIDS <laughs> was created in a lab in South Africa to kill off Africans who was participating in who who who, who in, in an apartheid um, situation down in South Africa. They did not want Africans to recontrol the uh, majority or the, or the control of African land. This was a tool that was used that was developed in the 1970s, 1980s to kill off Africans that who who was in South Africa who was gaining momentum in that apartheid. So this is what we're dealing with when we talk about Bill Gates uh, wanting wanting to depopulate Africa. And I conclude. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, Brother Maurice, because what you're alluding to, you're talking about uh, Walter Bassoon, in addition to working with the CIA, uh, he's a cardiologist responsible for innovating these, a lot of these viruses in terms of HIV and AIDS. So it's very, very clear in terms of the complicity as it relates to AIDS. So we, we understand that very, very clearly. Now, Brother Moses, now, if we're talking about the elimination of 3 billion people throughout the world, and if you talk about focusing on Africa, so essentially what you're talking about is conceivably killing off one-third of the population. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, what is your view in terms of the implications of killing off so many people in Africa? What would it do to Africa? Now, this is... This is um... This is a very, very, very serious, serious <laughs> um, allegations, and, and um, I need to investigate this um, um, and um, uh, verify this, these facts because uh, uh, this is very serious. Uh, um, you're talking about genocide. Uh, I'm talking about uh, you know out, out racism, and uh, and it's, it's very very um uh, you know you don't take i don't take it lightly so so um i'm gonna have to hold off on any real real substantive comment other than obviously it will be you know it's, it's like i said it's genocide and so uh and it's racist and uh and i'll leave it right there thank you yeah that's that's a and really, brother, brother Hackey, before we continue sure go ahead brother Hackey. And the Go correct ahead. title, what I was trying to, yes, the correct title of that of that uh, organization uh, is South African Institute for uh, Mar- Maritime Research. So, if, if for any listeners or anybody who is listening, uh, that's the correct title if you want to research further uh, in, 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 in regards to the point about um, this organization creating AIDS or the HIV virus uh, to to combat the Africans um, regaining control doing apartheid in South Africa. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, that's that's a very established point. Um, that's well documented in terms of that complicity, that 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 uh, working together in terms of creating advice. So um, interestingly enough, one of the things that when, when, when that question was raised in terms of the authenticity of the claim 
that it was produced by individuals. They looked at this virus, the AIDS virus specifically, under an electron microscope, and, if, and, and the scientists discovered that, in fact, the world's genetically modified, uh, created. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, some kind of genetic strain that, in fact, mutated and that, that brought about AIDS. So I think that point is very, very substantiated. Now, Brother Moses, here's an interesting point that you raised, because a lot of people take a position that, in fact, that the words that uh, Bill Gates articulated in terms of a conference that he was attending uh, were misconstrued. In fact, that he didn't say that he had a desire to eliminate large number of people throughout the planet. Uh, instead, what he was saying that he just wanted to uh, make it possible to limit the, the the number of people on the planet, by ne- not necessarily by vaccine or, or, or diseases, but more in terms of uh, in, in, in terms of a process in which Western states actually assist, you know, developing world in terms of meeting their needs and obligations, thereby making making sure that these developing nations are in position to actually you know decrease their numbers simply because uh, they are not threatened, threatened with the, the need for, you know, bigger populations giving, for instance, say if you're a farmer and you need, uh, need people to work on the farms, where if everything is, is, everything is fine, if you've got a system that, in fact, which, is, which, is, which goes, just flows smoothly, then there's no, no necessity to have a large number of people in terms of farm work simply because you have the technology so forth and so on in terms of facilitating that. So in that context, you certainly will reduce the population. But here's the problem, Brother Moses. I want you to listen to this very carefully. This is a quote from, from Bill Gates. Quote, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lessen the population, and he's talking about 6.8 billion people, uh, by 10 to 15 percent, end of the quote. Now, what is interesting about this quote, Brother, Brother Moses, is that, you know, um, the, the, the irony is that if you actually innovate vaccines to make people healthier, if you innovate healthcare or reproductive services for people, they become more healthier, which means the inclination is for people actually to have more, more children simply because they're healthier. So that is a fundamental problem. So what he doesn't talk about, when you talk about truly reducing the world's population, the things that you need to do to achieve that is, one, is to make sure everyone is properly educated. That's the first thing you have to do. Secondly, you have to have female empowerment. You have to empower women to be able to speak up, to have control of their bodies. That is important in terms of eliminating the, the numbers uh, of the global population. And lastly, you have to res- um, capitalism, restructure capitalism. You have to do that. Uh, so, but he doesn't talk about that. So it seems to me that if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you think long and hard about what he's saying, is that to me it doesn't make any sense. Because all the things he's proposing in terms of vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health, all make individuals healthier. If that contributes to the population, should I conclude that somehow that he's being uh, strictly with his language? I have no idea. I'm not going to try to interpret uh, what's going on in Bill Gates' man. Uh, um, I have no idea. Um, I'm, I, um, I guess I should get a little bit more informed about Bill Gates. I've been more worried about Donald Trump than Bill Gates, but uh, but uh, I'll, I'll have to investigate a little more. Thank you. Well, I hear you, Brother Moses. Brother Maurice, let me pose the same question to you. Uh, what is your What is your point of view in terms of what I'm raising? Should I repeat it? Yes. Can you, yes. Repeat it. Well, here's here's the, here's the quote. Okay. Now, here's this is Bill, quote, Bill Gates' quote. Okay. 
quote, if we do a really great job on vaccine, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower the population. He's talking about 6.8 billion people by 10 to 15 percent, end quote. And what I say was, interestingly enough, these things actually make people healthier. If you make them healthier, it seems to me that maybe a tendency to actually have more children because you're healthier, uh, you're earning more, uh, you're much more, uh, um, much more, um, you have much more vitality. So that might intend to encourage people to have more children. Uh, not to say that's not to say that's a bad thing. It's a very good thing that what he's if if, if he's if he's sincere in terms of these these endeavors. But the problem is that when it comes to really reducing, you know, the global population, things like education is a must. He's not talking about education. Things like female empowerment, that is important that women understand they have control over their bodies. That's important. And secondly, there has to be, the, the capitalism has to be restructured if you're sincere in terms of reducing the global population. But ironically, none of these things he talks about. So um, when I read his words, I'm trying to figure out that he, it seems to me that somehow on some level that his words are somehow disingenuous. So what is your view in terms of his, his, his quote? Wow, that's, that's, that's a, a big quote to unpack. But um, one, one part of the quote that sticks out to me is he's stating, if I understood still you correctly, he stated that by having these vaccines, it would help, basically, um, paraphrase, it would help with the depopulation plan. Now, here's the thing. Um, Pfizer, Pfizer Incorporated owns the photo of Dr. Marion Sims. He was a doctor in the, in during slavery in the 1800s who did vicious uh, experimental medical procedures on African women. Now, today, it was an article released what, not too long ago uh, well, released this month about four thousand women reported reported having uh you know menstrual problems, including you know having bleeding and uh, or, or long a, a long or the period is, is or their period or their cycle taking place longer than usual. Um, so these things make make is it, it, very complicated. Uh, complicated is too gentle. It, it's very frustrating. It's very uh. It's very confusing, you know. It's a lot of confusion because, like Sister Eleanor stated last week on the show, she was advocating for us to go get the vaccine. And I understand her passion. That passion, like my brother's father, lost his life to COVID nineteen, and it took him out. And and we are in fear, and it's a lot of confusion. But one thing I can I can tell you for sure is that. Bill Gates or uh, none of these capitalists are to be trusted. They have vicious intent on controlling on they on on continuing to control the world and and control uh control our way of living our social our social way of living. And this is this is something uh, Brother Moses is correct is right. You you <laughs> this is nothing to take to take lightly. This is something serious. Our life is on the line. People are still dying. If from not taking the dying without taking the vaccine or to from, from taking the vaccine, it's very serious. But I just want to point out again, like I said, Pfizer owns. Now just think about this: Pfizer owns that photo of Dr. Marion Sims uh, uh, doing these vicious experiments, medical experiments on African women during slavery. Now just let that sink in. Okay, I'm sorry, brother Maurice. What's that last part? I missed that last part. I'm sorry, can you hear me? 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying that's fine. No, I was just. I was just saying to, to I was just saying that we need to let we need to think about this. I just want us to I'm a, I was trying to conclude on this point to to let us marinate on Pfizer owning the photos of Dr. Marion Sims, um, this vicious doctor who did who did uh, medical experiments on African women during slavery, took them through enormous pain. Pfizer Incorporated owns the, the the photos. The same Pfizer that is giving people uh, vaccines, they own they own the photos of this doctor, Dr. Marion Sims, doing these uh, vicious experiments on African women, on our ancestors. Okay, Brother Moses, you know one of the things is that one reason why the the evidence of the population says it's so important is because um, there's a problem with overconsumption. The problem with the argument of overconsumption, when you talk about, you know, people, you know, you know, buying up all the resources, uh, the problem is that that's a problem unique with rich people. Uh, poor people don't overconsume. It's rich people. So why do you think there's never any discussion about, when you talk about overconsumption, there's never any discussion about how rich people consume more by far than poor people? Yeah. Well, I guess he's starting with the man in the mirror. I don't know. Um um, you know, the, the interest of, of of the poor people and uh, um, and the toiling masses is diametrically opposed to the interest of the one percent who own all the wealth and uh, and uh, but but you know, but we're still human beings and we we still have um, the capacity to think and uh, and have empathy and sympathy and uh compassion and even altruism uh, um but you know each individual is different and uh, according to their condition and conditioning uh um they 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 produce such things as bill gates uh whose whose uh life is um certainly hasn't been the same as the average person uh and he's a unique individual, and uh, uh, I'm sure his class interest uh, is to, to maintain his his property and his his wealth. And so, you know, we have to recognize that and um, and deal with him accordingly when it comes to the state and government and what needs to be done. And so, you know, revolution is still a solution. That's basically all I'm trying to say. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Okay. Yes. You know, one thing is interesting, brother. When, when I talk about brother Maurice, when I talk about the restructuring of capitalism, one thing is interesting that capitalism also increases scarcity. In other words, by creating scarcity, uh, uh, you ensure prices remain high. Uh, one of the things, for instance, if you talk about farming, uh, one of the things is that we have these large corporate uh, institutions which are responsible for the farming. And, of course, their thing is the bottom line. And so, therefore, they restrict uh, in terms of the kind of farming activity because their, 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 their motivation is totally, totally toward the, the attainment of more and more money. Now, historically, we always had, you know, you know farmers. And so these farmers, you know, uh, because they didn't have the resources in terms of, you know, all this mechanization and all of these this farm equipment, so they depend on human labor in terms of getting, getting their products out. So this question in terms of accumulating wealth was impossible, and so as a consequence, 
people were able they were able to get food food to people, and so the scarcity that it currently exists didn't exist back then. So, brother Maurice, I'm going to ask you in terms of restructuring capitalism, in terms of you know uh, bringing about uh, a better day for people, is that a legitimate argument or is that uh, fallacious or is that somehow a false argument? Oh, no doubt, it's very fallacious. It's a false argument. Come on, man! Like people can't even fish. In, like if you go fishing nowadays, I have an uncle who's a who's a stone cold fisherman, and he all he catches is bait like small. It's a small fish. He never catch like back in the day. He was telling me you can catch big size trout, big size uh, spot, but you no longer can catch them no more because corporations or big businesses have nets in the water that catch that catch these big fish. And the small fish can escape through the holes in the net. That's what that's what all they're catching in Virginia Beach or in, right here in Virginia or Charles City. They're catching these these uh, small small fish in some of these uh, you know waters out here in Virginia. Now, just that alone, when he was explaining to me, this is very fallacious. This is capitalism, man. Like we they gave out people that thought that uh, we was not going to bear the brunt. Of these, uh, of these, um, what, what they call these? I'm sorry, uh, these type of checks that they was giving out due to the COVID COVID nineteen, due to the pandemic. Um, uh, excuse, excuse my <laughs> my uh, my train of, my my, cha- my uh, chain of thought, but basically they was giving out this 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 funding, this assistance uh, money uh, for 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 COVID nineteen, and I say to myself. <laughs> We're going to, this, 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 we going to pay back some way, somehow, and we are paying it back. You know, we are paying it back. Food prices is going up. Uh, this is a piece of wood. A piece of lumber is 45 uh, eight, It used to be like $8 uh, for, uh, for, for a piece of uh, plywood or a piece of sheetrock. Now it's going up to $45. That, play, that, that price done, basically done quadruple. So, and this is all taking place after... You know, COVID nineteen prices has 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 gone up, um, and every like you, I mean, it speaks to the point you were just saying, like uh, scarcity. This all of this toilet paper, uh, 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 cough drops, soap, all of this, all of these prices has 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 tripled, going up, man. Uh, um, uh, bleach. <laughs> these prices have, has risen due to after this COVID nineteen. So. It's 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 everything is by design when you're dealing with a with a capital capitalist system. So no, this is this is fallacious to think that um, they are doing something in the best for the, in, in 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 the best interest of the people. They are not. They're only doing it for, for in the best interest of a certain type of people, and that's the, a certain type of class, and that's capitalist, uh, uh, you know, bourgeoisie, if you will, whatever you want to call them, the people who are living high on the hog. But the everyday people, like the people who are speaking on this phone or on this show, and the listeners for us, it's 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 capital. They can give a damn about us. They are exploiting us, for, um, like I've been saying, for our labor, for you know, for our for our the little bit of money that we do have. We living on a paycheck to paycheck basis. It's it's exploitation. Everything went up, man. So no, it's, it's very fallacious. Okay, brother Moses. You know, what is ironic is that back in 1798, uh, Thomas Morphus, an economist, clergy, um, he advocated, um, you know, uh, population control back then. 
So, you know, you tell me, uh, in 1798, so we're talking about a relatively small population. What made it count for him, you know, talking about the importance of population control as far back as 1798? Mm. Population control. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, so his, I think, his, his yeah. interesting. Uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, that, um, what is it, Malthusism? Uh, um, I think, you know, there's been a, a, a movement of, of uh, some kind of, uh, um, I don't know, it's right-wing morality or something. I'm not sure how to describe yeah. it. Uh, uh, but it's definitely trying to uh, control and uh, um Manipulate the population, uh, uh, but, but you know, at the same time, you know, um, we as as human beings have to take control of our destiny, and uh, and we have to make decisions about about uh, the world situation. Uh, I know in China they they've got you know uh, various mechanisms for controlling the, their population. Uh, Birth control, etc. Uh, um, dare to dare to think, uh, dare to struggle, dare to win. Uh, um, the we 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 you've got to start with the person in the mirror. That's the first thing. And that I've always said, honor your mother and your father by getting married before having the children. And that I feel like if people can do that. It will, it, will, it will determine a whole lot about world history eventually uh, if everybody took that up. But but that's a lot easier said than done. Um, I'm I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, brother. Yeah, uh, brother Maurice, uh, I want you to extrapolate a little bit. So in 1798, we're already talking about uh, population control. He's hinting at. Uh, a population control, and, and Brother Moses alluded to uh, Malthusism, in which, you know, it's described in terms of the conservative element in the country, you know, who wants to see, uh, you know, a, 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 a big reduction in terms of the population here in America. Uh, so clearly, uh, so how do you how do you square this, this notion that population control was needed back in 1798 uh, versus currently 2021? And we got to look at what was going on in time, you know, in, in the 1970s or 1960s. You know, uh, you know that we was at the at the height. Well, 1960 they had a lot of assassinations of our, and I'm just looking at it from an African perspective, right? They assassinated basically damn near all of our leaders of the 1960s and the 1970s, and you know, it, 1970s was at the height of black power. And when we're dealing with community, I mean, I'm sorry, when we're dealing with uh, uh, um, population control, they are, what they are trying to control is their power. Um, they said they kept giving these data. Uh, recently, recently, they keep giving data uh, numbers out that the minorities or Latinos are going to be the majority. The minority, basically, basically data saying that the minor, minority is going to be the majority. And they don't want to hear that. The, the powers that be as of right now, they don't want to. You know, these especially specifically these European capitalists, they don't want to hear that. You know, and you know, and I'm not going to sit right sit right here and be uh, naive that our movements 
of the 1960s and 1970s didn't scare the hell out of some of these people. Yes. So, and and, as in everything, I just say this, we have to look at it from an African point of view because everything, every virus, every pandemic, every epidemic, anything that's a a hurricane or tsunami, Africans are, are the worst affected. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's no way around it. Even when they talk about, uh, Hitler or the Nazis, we was, let me tell you something, man. We was more, believe it or not, I know some people probably be mad as hell, but it's facts. Africans were more affected by the Nazis than the Jews was. Let's look at it. Who they got, who, who, who did the Nazis, Nazis practice the fuck, excuse my language, practice the Holocaust on first prior to doing it on Jews. They practiced it and did it on Africans in, 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 in Namibia, the word that I can't, the country I can't pronounce, right? They, they're in South Africa. Hell, not just alone in. Excuse me. Uh, not alone, just in uh, N- uh, Namibia and South Africa alone. They pr- uh, practice these, uh, you know, these, these this Holocaust or this genocide. We lost way more lives in, in, in South Africa, and you don't, you don't have to listen to me. You can research it. You can research it yourself. So anything, my point I'm trying to make is anything that is going to affect the world or affect a certain group, Africans, we, we, bear, the, the, we bear the most brutal uh, effects of it. And, and basically, basically we can equate that <laughs> this population control in 1978. And, and I don't have, I'm not going to make an assumption. Well, I can make an assumption, but because I, I don't, I mean, I have, I have some data, but I don't have, Raw data saying, oh, this is why they doing came up with this in 1978. But I won't be I won't be surprised if it was a response to our movements of the 1970s and the 1960s of what we was doing. These people are all always planning. They are always they are playing chess. They are not playing checkers, meaning that they are ten steps ahead of the game. And they they they, they are not. This is not no joke. This is not a video game to them. This is serious. This is survival. This is for they trying to maintain their power their wealth, their control, their dominance on, on the world and, uh, and on our country, beloved Africa. So this is, this is no, this is no joke, man. This is, this is no coincidence as well, brother, ha- brother Hackey. It's no coincidence. So we have to look at, look at it from the African point of view or the African lens to see what was going on in the 1970s and what was, you know, what, 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 what we got to look at the historical approach. That's all I'm trying to convey. Yeah, but you know, Brother Maurice, yeah, you're, uh, essentially, yeah, you know, uh, the Germans committed the uh, genocide against the Herero people in Namibia. And, uh, of course, they ended up giving the people, I think it was $10.2 million reparations for what they did, which is a, a drop in the bucket. Uh, so clearly that's not sufficient in terms of the kind of mayhem, kind of destruction they imposed upon the people, you know, there in Namibia. But, brother, but, brother, but here's the thing, though, Brother. So we're talking about Thomas Morphus. 1798. Now, the analogy you gave in terms of the 60s was, was right on. I mean, was, that was spot on. But when we go even further back, when we look at 1798, in terms of you know, this whole question around reducing the population, I find it ironic, given you don't have, it wasn't that such a large world population. So even at that point, there was a, uh, there was a, a, a concern in terms of, uh, you know, uh, depopulation. So I'm asking you, if you go all the way back to the 17th century or the 18th century in this case, 
and you look at children's desire to depopulate the the the, the, the planet. Why, even though you got a relatively small world population, why in 1798 you have calls to actually decrease the population? What is that all about in your mind, Brother Maurice? And my apologies, I I I, I thought you said 1978. Okay, 1798. Yeah, um, yeah, the 1798. only <laughs> 1798, right? So honestly, I my my, my um uh education around this is very minute. I would say the least, but I am honestly looking at reading up on it now as we speak. And from what I'm understanding, they, uh, this situation of or this, uh, something that was basically named after Thomas Robert Moffitt. Moffitt, Moffitt, I can't even pronounce it. I have to do my research on this. But they were saying Mathis. that it was a yeah. response to, I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah Moffitt, yeah. Malthus. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, they were saying this is, was food. To, to to maintain food, like I, 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 I if, if that's the case, I, I don't agree with that. Like it's enough, the planet has enough food for for human beings, animals, bugs, uh, <laughs> bacteria. So then again, I, I no, I I disagree with this notion. But like I said, to speak more to about it, I, to speak more about about it in an educated uh, manner, I would have to do my research. But this I, this is a, a, another form of 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 um. Control, if you ask me, of of of, of control, it's not humanistic, because you know it's not. This is this is not a humanistic uh, con con you know concept. When we talk about uh, humanitarianism, this is definitely not humanistic. Uh, you know, you want to kill off a certain amount of people, keep a certain amount of people here. Uh, who 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 gave who gave them the power to do so? So no, I, I, I yeah, I, I don't I don't know about this. I disagree. I disagree totally about this. Yeah, you know, I think the, the correlation between 1798 and 2021 has to do with, with the needs of the capitalist class. I think on each occasion, it's not about real scarcity in the sense that the food actually doesn't, the potential to, to have enough food for everybody doesn't exist. What they're saying is that in order to make sure that the wealthy prosper, this whole, this whole no, notion of, uh, you know, uh, depopulating the world was good simply because if you if you if you depopulate the world, it means that uh, the available resources actually only increase in value. Also, it means that the the the, the, the access of those materials by the wealthy actually also increases. So I think in, in that regard, I think it's in the interest of the, of the capitalist class to push depopulation because of their interest. So clearly, you know, uh, one of the things when you talk about innovation when it comes particularly black farming, uh, clearly nobody ever talks about you know changing the capitalist capitalist model. In terms of farming, it's always been about money. So as long as it's about money, then certainly you can anticipate people saying we need to depopulate because, in other words, what you're saying, you got other people competing for resources, and which gets in the way in terms of the profitability of the few, and so therefore they want that population gone. So clearly, you know, I think it has a lot to do in terms of in terms of you know uh, capitalist greed. All right, now we got on it. We got zero seven nine six zero seven nine six. Identify yourself. Zero seven nine six. I guess they're just going to listen. All right, let's go to the next caller. Hold on. All right. Seven 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 two three six seven two three six. Identify yourself. Oh, good evening. This is Eleanor Johnson. Hey, Sister Eleanor, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Okay, did you catch the last question? 
Um, no, I just tuned in, and uh, I believe uh, I, I'd like to listen. I believe you were talking about the uh, Belgian conference. We were talking about depopulation. So do you have any views in, around depopulation? Why is depopulation so important? And turn your volume down, Sister Eleanor. Turn your volume down. Okay, thank you. Let me do that. Um, I, I, in terms of population control, I, I don't think that's a question that any of us as individuals, I mean, uh, can really answer. And I think if you're going to talk about uh, something like what China used to have, where they controlled the number of children that each family could have, that that that. Uh, I don't know how that works, but I, I simply think that with the coronavirus, when you saw whom uh, was passing and how it affected uh, indigenous black and brown communities and, and the indigenous populations in the Americas and the lack of vaccine availability in Africa and the surging cases of uh, the coronavirus right now in Asia and Africa, I, I, I would say that uh, that's a de facto population control, but I, I certainly don't think it was planned, and I would hope not. And that's, again, why we should act as neighbors and, and love each other and support each other. And I think as soon as we deal with issues of education, health care, housing and uh, basic human rights as, a, as something that every nation should adopt as a, as a criteria, providing housing, education, uh, protecting Mother Earth, the environment. And, and that will be the uh, best control we can have, reducing each person's carbon footprint and re-educating the masses, that, that will be the best thing we can do in terms of managing, saving the earth, and making sure that we have ample resources for all people. And to stop some of the waste. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, the, you know, every t- how many bottles of water does one individual drink a day? Where does that plastic go? How do they recycle it? And and so there's so much to consider in terms of uh, recycling, reorganizing, re-educating, and that uh, that uh, will uh, you know control the distribution of resources. And in terms of uh, uh, I, I heard you mention the Germans giving the two million uh, so many millions of dollars uh, to uh, was it. What country was that, brother? Was it Rwanda? No, Namibia. 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 Uh, to Namibia. Hello, people, the 90 people. Hmm? Yeah, it was I'm sorry, Namibia. Namibia. Well, Namibia, um, they wanted to make sure that that wasn't any kind of re- reparations or anything. They kept repeating that. And that was some 20th century atrocity that they committed. And I um, uh, am not uh, completely aware of uh, this, 
what went on and will need to do my research and I'll continue to listen in and um, thank you for giving me a moment to say good evening to everyone. Good evening, everyone. Let me, let me, let me ask you before, thank you, before you. you listen, Sister Eleanor. You raised a question in terms of two, two population control should encompass education um, uh, on some level restructuring of capitalism in terms of fairness. Uh, my question to you is, if in fact these things contribute to uh, depopulation in a positive kind of way, why are these measures implemented? Uh, because it really doesn't serve the interests of uh, the capitalists. I mean, look at the level of waste that uh, that we have. I, I'm in grocery stores often, and you'll see uh, someone drop something, and I've seen hungry people say, "Well, can I have that at a discount?" And they say, "No, we have to uh, we have to code it in and mark it down." So. I think the system is structured so that uh, the capitalists can just uh, uh, control resources so that uh, people do not have access to food. I mean, food is to be a basic human right, to be able to eat nutritional food, to have safe, healthy food, but that it's not unfortunately. So besides healthcare, there's the issue of food, and you can re-educate people, but right now, I don't think the economic powers and the folks that are in charge, that's not an interest of theirs. And we, the people, aren't organized to make it something that they feel they have to act on or be responsible. We haven't made it known to uh, to the Bezos and the big shots that we will not tolerate this level of waste, that you're going to have to reuse, recycle, and do this right now with the resources and the things that you have. You know, if you if you damage a box, well, that computer needs to go to some needy person in a neighborhood somewhere. It needs to go somewhere other than in the trash pile. So I, I think that we have to make it uh, 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 where we begin to tax and penalize people for waste and reward those who recycle. We'll see a change, a cultural change. Right now, it's it's just not a criteria. And and uh, I, I say it to even people like myself. I often say, well, how many bottles am I using? because I, I'm guilty of drinking alkaline water, and I can't make it myself. And and so I, I myself, use re- recycled bottles uh, in my home. There's no one-use bottles in my home, uh, so I'm not doing that. I'm not one of these people drinking water every day and throwing 10 bottles in in the trash can, but at the same time, I I need to reduce my carbon footprint, and all of us do. And the reason it's difficult is because there's not an economic incentive at this time to reduce, uh, uh, to to reduce. It's not not economically uh, important. Once it begins to have a value, a dollar value, where it, it produces revenue, 
or it affects the revenue stream of of us as individuals and of uh, corporate uh, um, uh, the corporate world, then we'll see a change. As long as it's, it's the status quo right now, it's just landfills and dumping in the ocean is, is what's happening, and it's awful. It's destroying the animals and plants and islands where people don't even live. You know, I, 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 I know of some organizations that are working with trash removal on reserves where absolutely no people live. And they're picking up face masks from the pandemic and toothbrushes as if there had been a a population of 100,000 people living on the island, but it's not. It's just waste, the dumping in the ocean and us not uh, controlling it. And so, again, we need to recycle. We can use – they're brilliant people that – uh, you see it happening in Asia where instead of using plastic, they're using bamboo containers. Um, uh, there's one company that's taking umbrellas and turning them into uh, reusable sa- uh, satchels so that you don't use a plastic or paper bag every time you're in the grocery store. So um, it, it, it can become a really actually viable uh, industry, recycling, reusing, and repurposing. But uh, we got to get these folks and these entrepreneurs and these creative people out here on the move and make it something that is uh, a demand for. And I think that can be done legislatively and culturally by uh, educating the, the, the young people right now, but also re-educating us the uh, adult population. We can start right now with the 10-year-olds, and you'll see a change, I guarantee you, in 10 years if we start with the, the elementary school kids right now. They, it'll be like smoking was. You know, you know they told you smoking uh, caused cancer, and, and, and people just stopped smoking at a phenomenal rate. In, in in the 80s. So we can have that kind of impact right now by letting people know what's happening with global warming, what's going on, and how it's affecting uh, the uh, the entire planet and, and these climatic conditions that we're experiencing right now. Once we educate the public that these strange climatic conditions, whether it's these excessive fires or excessive cold and this phenomenal heat that we've had in the last week in this country, record-breaking heat in Oregon and and throughout the United States, uh, we can uh, stop this right now by re-educating ourselves and changing our day-to-day behavior but there needs to be an economic incentive to do so. Okay. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Our next question. Uh, now I'll start with you, Brother, Brother Moses. The independent newspaper uh, had a very interesting article. They talk about Trump considers sending COVID-infected Americans to Guantanamo Bay. Now, in February of 2020, government officials pondered what to do with Americans affected with COVID-19 abroad. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, uh, Trump 
Trump advocated sending them to Guantanamo Bay. Now, Brother Moses, I ask you, what happened to the Constitution? The Constitution guarantees the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Uh, what happened to the Constitution? Brother Moses? Hello? Hello? Yeah. What happened? You hear the question, uh-huh. Brother Moses? Yeah, you said that what happened to the Constitution. Yeah, you're talking about sending Americans who catch COVID-19 abroad and imprisoning them in Guantanamo Bay. Now, what happened to the U.S. Constitution? It seems to me that the Constitution articulates uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So how yeah. do sending American citizens to Guantanamo Bay uh, somehow embraces the Constitution? Well, you know, I'm not going to apologize for uh, the uh, doings of the government and, uh, and, uh, because, you know, uh, I, there's no friends of ours that are uh, just the way it is. Um, um, the Constitution, you know, is only as good as the people demanding their rights. And, uh, because it's, it's, it's a, the participatory democracy at this point, and you have to demand your rights in order to get your rights, and uh, that's the bottom line. Uh, I can hear you, Brother Moses. I'm not going to say all that. Way. All right, thank you. No, no, Brother Moses, I can't hear you. Can you speak a little louder? Brother Moses. I said uh, the Constitution that you have to demand your rights in order to get your rights in in the world today. Um, uh, the Constitution is is uh, it's like a hostile witness or something. Uh, you have to you have to facilitate yourself and advocate for yourself, and uh, you know that's the way it is in, in the U.S. of A. Until we get a different Constitution. Thank you. No. Uh, Brother Maurice, uh, Brother Moses raised a very interesting point. It seems to me that these these so-called freedoms, life, living, and pursuit of happiness, are not achievable on their own. And so, in other words, so when we talk about these constitutional guarantees, uh, the reality is that they only exist to the extent that people stand up and fight for them. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, definitely correct. Brother Moses was dead spot on, and I think Malcolm X said it best. And in order to get true justice. And equality, we will have to do away. We have to. We will have to eradicate the present constitution that we have at hand and rebuild from the bottom, from the people. In other words, to your question about Donald Trump, want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, not not a bad bad constitution, and have uh, you know COVID patients go to to go, uh, Guantanamo Bay. I mean. <laughs> It's, it's, it, we should not be surprised about this. The Constitution is only, is, is, is a fatigue, to my extent, to my uh, awareness, doesn't mean squat diddly uh, to, to powers that be. The Constitution is only enforced to keep the people in check, They're, to keep the people in line, and keep the people to abide by their capitalist system or principles. That's what it is. We can't get away around it. Yeah, so I, I do uh, concur with Brother Moses. We would have to do, do away with this constitution and build from the ground up because this, this constitution is, is only good. <laughs> if, if you want to call it good, 
it's only good as 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 they allow it, allow it to be good to work in our uh for our interests. But the constitution was never made for us for the for the poor people. It was never made for uh, African people or or Latinos or uh, it, it it was not made for it, it was made for a certain class of people. That's what that constitution was made for. So he so Trump he he's doing what he he's he's doing what the powers that be in Philadelphia. <laughs> When, in the 1700s, when they came up with this uh, constitution, he's using it how they use it. Uh, you know, we we we'd be naive to think if if Thomas Jefferson was talking about African people, or, or he wasn't talking about us when he said all men are created, or, or created equal. He's talking about all capitalists European are created e- equally. I guess the same equally shared that they had in Africa when they colonized and they carved it up. So yes, that constitution it means it's probably, it means nothing. To, to the everyday to, to, to them but they, they only use it to keep us in check Sister Eleanor sending yes. to, uh, Americans with COVID-19 to Guantanamo Bay is that unconscionable? Absolutely it's unconscionable you have to remember that uh, Trump was an authoritarian and that is a problem not only uh, did we face it in the United States but there are several countries uh, that are facing these totalitarian regimes we see it in Brazil uh, we see it in Eastern Europe we see it uh, in Asia uh, and uh, it's it's a real problem and uh, uh, we also unfortunately see it in Africa. So uh, standing up, the people being organized and standing up for their rights are uh, essential to maintaining the civil liberties that we enjoy today. And as Brother Robert and uh, Brother Maurice, I believe it was, uh, said, that the Constitution, the last speaker said, the Constitution really uh, didn't take into consideration uh, Africans as free people. It didn't take into consideration um, uh, working class people uh, or class economy. It was, they were thinking about a gentry class that controlled the rest of us and our lives uh, were uh, marginal at most, and and as you know, at one point we weren't even counted as a, a full human being. So so they they didn't didn't have us in mind. But now that we've moved forward and we're here in the 21st century, it's up to us, and I firmly believe it too, registered to vote to fight these ridiculous. Uh, anti-voting uh, uh, laws that have Trump has caused to pop up in all these states throughout this United States to combat that type of uh, reactionary legislation and make sure each and every person is registered to vote and vote, making sure that there's no ID required to vote. You don't need an identification to vote. You need your voter's registration card. Now, Rudy Giuliani was disbarred this week. 
but the impact of his his rhetoric is still being felt throughout the United States. He alleged that dead people were voting. Well, we can't get the people that are registered to vote to vote in this country. We had one of the largest turnouts last November in recent history. Americans generally don't vote, and we certainly, dead people aren't voting. We can't even remember our name, let alone the dead. So all these lies, all this propaganda has caused this reactionary behavior in these uh, in Texas and Arizona and Georgia. Throughout the United States is an outrage, but people need to make sure that that type of legislation gets through. They need to vote each and every one of those folks that proposed that legislation out of, out of office. And the voters, the only right we really have in this country, the only way we really impact people is through our wallets, but most importantly through the the polls. The electorate really has power if we are organized. So organizing where you stand is essential. You have to organize the folks where you stand. There's a Local government, as you know, this country is not a true democracy, it's a republic. So these republics, these little states have a great deal of power, and these individual municipalities have complete control over their budget, with the exception of the District of Columbia, which depends on Congress. But other than that, we have a great deal of power, and the residents of the District of Columbia have demonstrated what they can do as a disenfranchised people, what you can do with the vote, an educated electorate. So uh, I think that uh, the thought of uh, people going to Guantanamo Bay is outrageous. It It wasn't allowed. It wasn't tolerated. I mean, Trump told us to use Clorox to get rid of the coronavirus. He told us to take, uh, what was it, hydrochloroquine, uh, a malaria drug to take care of the coronavirus. So we have to remember that this was a sick person. He was elected by an uninformed electorate. And he used just a few words, phrases, making America great again, taking back America well, making America great again is the people who make America great. It's the people that make any country great. It's the people. And the people must be educated and they must be united. And when that is uh, what we're working with, we'll see a change in society. And no, no one going to Guantanamo Bay. Obama was trying to shut down Guantanamo Bay. We've held Afghani prisoners there now for 20 years. I understand children were held at Guantanamo Bay that are now 30 years old. What is going on? That was an outrageous thought. And and to move Guantanamo Bay is in Cuba. So we're going to send U.S. citizens to Cuba. To Guantanamo Bay, that was outrageous and ridiculous. It was more uh, trash talk from the Trump administration. It had no merit. Okay. All right, Brother Moses, quick question for you. Uh, It seems to me, you know, this article talks a little bit about uh, 
uh, these particular individuals, those American citizens who came down with COVID-19 abroad, and all of the qualified to be interned in the street jails in Guantanamo Bay, they loosely had to be defined as terrorists. So my question to you, Brother Moses, once the government defines you as a terrorist, are you a terrorist? Well, you know, obviously the power to define is the power to rule, and if you can, you got the guns and the and the military structure to carry out your definition. Um, that's what it's all about. At some point, uh, um, you know, there's right and there's dead right, and that, you know, there's all, and so, um, you know, of course, you know, uh, one has to be self-determined and have enough independence to know whether one or not is a terrorist and to define oneself with integrity and, and uh, some kind of ethical considerations for the, for the people. And um, I, 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 the, the government loves to label terrorists and, uh, and um, conquer and divide us and, uh, you know, whether it's Julian Assange or Eric Snowden or, or I don't know, Glenn Walwell, Greenwell. Anyway, we have to we have to have our own definition. That's the bottom line. Thank you. Okay, Brother Moses. Brother Maurice, interestingly enough, you know, the National Defense Authorization Act could potentially protest us as terrorists. So when I think about, in fact, you know, potentially labeling people with COVID-19 as terrorists and qualifying for them to, to be jailed in Guantanamo, it seems to me that this question in terms of terrorism is something that's arbitrary. So it doesn't have, it's not based upon fact. It's based upon, based upon the desire to exercise power. What do you think? Uh, thank you. Hit it right on the head. It is an exercise to, uh, to, to, to um, show their power. You know, Trump. Who is Trump to to say or to call someone or label someone a terrorist? I mean, we we already seen the type of te- I shouldn't say the type of terrorist. We already seen the terrorists who he support, the terrorists who who killed the young lady in Charlottesville. You know, during during the protest in Charlottesville, she was ran down by by a, 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 a white supremacist in a, in the car right here in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia. He supported that. He didn't call them what they were. He 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 backed them on that. He this is the same guy who backed his uh, supporters at his rallies, hitting women in the faces, airborne people in the faces, African people, women, hitting them in the faces. His, you know this is this is this is this is terrorism. <laughs> if you, this is terrorism. These are the same people that took over the Capitol in January, who who came and tried to stage a coup, if you want to call it that. This is this is what this is this is this is what he is. He he is in fact a terrorist. I mean, you know, for for him to label uh, uh, recipients of the, of the COVID nineteen a terrorist, come on, man, that's ludicrous. How can you? I mean, come on, man. He, he <laughs> it's not funny, but he, he he just it's a joke at this point. Like like Sister Eleanor stated, this is the guy, the same guy that said to tell the told the public to take bleach, drink bleach, and you will get rid of COVID. I mean, he can give a damn less. And, and I'm not going to be naive to the, to the fact he was about to die from COVID. Believe it or not, he had COVID-19, and he was not looking too good. 
and they they pump all medic all t- every type of medication in him to keep him here. But we know that he has resources, he has the wealth to 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 have uh, such luxury with the medical uh, with, with 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 his medicine or medication. But he was fighting for his life from COVID. So if if he went a bad by that standard that uh, people who had COVID nineteen is a terrorist, he himself fits that mode because he had COVID nineteen. So what are you talking about? <laughs> I conclude. <laughs> yeah, very, very very good point, brother Maurice. Very good point. Listen, there's a book that be uh, that be very um, in, instructive if people would read it. It's called Nightmare Scenario by Yasmin Abu Talib and Damien Paletta. So if you get the opportunity to read that book, Nightmare Scenario, it's a very interesting book in terms of the inner workings of the, of the uh, Trump White House. I think uh, people will learn a lot. Having said that, let's take a quick station break, and we'll be right back after the station break. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Africa on the Move. My next question, I'll start with, with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, recently it was alleged uh, Liz Cheney spent $58,000 on private security after, after death, death threats over her criticism of Trump. Now, in this Wyoming congresswoman, under attack from, for supporting Trump's impeachment. Now, interesting enough, people make the claim that this kind of behavior is symptomatic of authoritarianism. Do you think this kind of this, this, this attack on Liz Cheney is symptom of authoritarianism? Uh, yes, I think so, because, um, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, in the eyes of a lot of critics, Liz Cheney, uh, violated a rule of the Republican party. And when you, and when you, and, uh, and, uh, uh, when you, when you go against, uh, party rules, then you incur the wrath of the uh, Republican establishment, which I think is what happened with Liz Cheney, and uh, which shows which is a measure of how much uh, uh, influence Trump exerts over the Republican Party. The fact that uh, that uh, you know that they're at uh, that that that. Uh, you know that uh, you know uh, you know there are a lot of critics that side with Trump in his criticism of uh, Liz Cheney, and also and also in the attacks against her. And I think it's uh, it is very telling the fact that um, you know that uh, that 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 a member. Uh, a, a party member can't disagree, uh, you know, in, 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 in principle without incurring the wrath of uh, uh, the the duopoly, and uh, that's what Cheney did in effect because uh, she uh, uh, she uh, thought thought that 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 that, that Trump caused. Uh, the uh, the so-called uh, you know riots at uh, at, at Capitol Hill, and uh, and should have been impeached uh, because he incited that, and uh, because of the stance she's taken, she's uh, she's had to you know get a, a additional security for herself and cut down on her public appearances. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Uh, Brother Maurice, you know, what is, what is interesting about this? You know, uh, um, Liz Cheney is not a liberal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, for the white wing to come after her simply because she called Trump for his indiscretion, indiscretion. I find it ironic. But if, if they're willing to go after their own in terms of, as Brother Anthony alluded to, ensuring they stay toward the line, what does that mean for the, 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 the progressive left in terms of the hostility that they uh, incur as it relates to uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the right wing in the society? It means dead meat. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> come on, man. Uh, Congresswoman Cheney, she spent $58,000. Come on, man, $58,000 on security for, for, for these uh, Trump supporters, if you will. 
she spent that amount of money on security. So, and she's she's one of them. She's a conservative. She's a Republican. Now, for 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 a left for leftists, if you will, dead meat. <laughs> you know, they, they, they you know, like I had spoke earlier about the attacks in Charlottesville. You know, we we talk about the young woman who got ran down by by the car, but it was a brother. They set a brother on fire. We don't talk about that. It was a brother who was set on fire, still suffering and trying to recover from known wounds. They they be they be the they be the brother down to a bloody pope. It was a brother. I can recall the newspaper article of the brother flying in the air from the car, hitting hitting the young lady at at the Charlottesville rally. And, and don't forget, man, they had two police officers, state two, got who got killed from this. These people, you know, are, are sinister people, man. This this. They are, we're talking about terrorists, they are def, definitely terrorists. So, yes, dead meat. It means exactly what it is. Like I said, these people, these are the same people that was at his rallies, giving people elbows to women and beating the hell out of people at their at their rallies. These are the same same people, man. So, that's, that's what it does. To answer your question in a nutshell, it means dead meat. This is what, this is what it is. They are still um, planning, planning to carry out uh, you know, assassination attempts or carry out uh, what's the word terrorist attacks. <laughs> they are still planning to do do these things as we speak, man. So, yeah, they they they're still planning. They people think because Trump is out of office, oh, we are good. Oh, we got a breath of fresh air. Now, these people are still out here on top of the everyday, on top of what we the the already oppression we've been catching as you know as as poor people. So, I mean, it, it's it's uh. It's, it's 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 no it's no break it's no it's no uh sad of relief. Yeah yeah we uh, you can be happy that uh, Joseph Biden is office, which to to me is they don't make a difference because you're gonna catch hell one way or the other. But um, it, it, regardless, because we're under this system of capitalism, imperialism, but uh, domestic colonialism, whatever you want to call this thing, right? But as 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 for uh what we're dealing with, I mean, <laughs> I think it speaks for itself. Okay, mm-hmm. Sister Eleanor, I'm coming to you. Uh, I want you to turn your turn your volume down. You're getting the feedback. Feedback. Now, before I bring you on, Sister Eleanor, let me ask you this question. Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, Trump supporters see Liz Cheney as Lynn Cheney as some kind of iconoclast, someone who opposes traditional norms and images. What is interesting is that when you talk about traditional norms, this notion in terms of uh, of you know, in uh, terms of you know, killing those people that you disagree with, is that a traditional norm, or is that an act of authoritarianism? And I'll open up your mic. Uh, that's an act of authoritarianism. That is not uh, um, a conventional norm, and it's and and it's very dangerous. And we're at a strange point in the United States. You know, we've had this QAnon phenomena that has swept this country where uh, these people are in a cult and don't realize it. We, the miseducation of the American people is that is, 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 I mean, the Taylor greens, the, we have some uninformed, uneducated people that were elected to public office. They are a danger to not only the Republican Party and Liz Cheney, but to all of us. And it is an example of authoritarianism. And it is unfortunate that Liz Cheney 
uh, a rational person, though we may not always agree with her politics, we can agree with her ethics. I mean, she's not like these barbarians. Here you have us uh, looking at an article today by Peter Wade with Trump trying to send people in Asia uh, with the virus to Guantanamo Bay. I would tell Asian people, Asian Americans to wake up and and just realize that racism isn't just why black lives matter is because if our lives don't matter, no one else's will either. Not because we're antisocial, but because when we begin to discriminate and ignore the human rights of a person and allow a black person to be murdered potentially every day from just a drop traffic stop, then we've opened up the gates for this type of authoritarianism. When that we begin to think there's a them and us, and we have begun to think that in our country, we are divided. But there are more of us that are sensible and rational and we can combat this type of authoritarianism. And it is an example of the atrocity. I mentioned earlier the legislation that's popping up, the anti-voting legislation. There's also some legislation that's popping up that talks about assembly, wanting to limit uh, the rights of persons to assemble. And nothing at the at on the Capitol on June sixth was a January sixth was a riot. It wasn't a riot. It was an insurgence. It was an insurgence, an attack on the U.S. democracy and on the U.S. on our country, on all of us. And anybody who confuses it with a riot, we're going along with mass media. There was no riot. There was an insurgence. There were. Uh, uh, people who were attempting to take over the U.S. government. Now, Donald Trump said he'd be back in the White House in August. I hope no one believes it. You know, we have, we've always had secure elections in the United States. This authoritarian bigot has confused the world and U.S. citizens. So we have a lot to correct. Because the one thing the U.S. had going for it, we struggled a long time for it, and it was that Voters' Rights Act of 1965, and whether it had to be re-voted in every 25 years or whatever, we had it. Now we are under attack. This is the effect of totalitarianism and the effect of electing uninformed, uneducated people to public office. And it is about uh, just blind ignorance. We, 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 with the uh, John McCain's and the Kennedys, at least they were educated, informed. I'm not talking about where they got a degree from. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being politically educated, knowing about having a love for the people and public service having a commitment to the United States and believing that it may not be perfect, but we can always build a better nation each day that we have a breath to breathe. But these people aren't concerned with that. They're not concerned with our infrastructure. 
the fact that our roads are falling apart in every city, everywhere. They'd rather let it fall. They're not concerned that we don't have broadband for everyone. They're not concerned that we don't have affordable mobile phones so that everyone can afford one. What's happening in the United States where everyone had a phone, Alexander Graham Bell had a dream, and everyone was able to realize it, and now we got kids that can't afford a cell phone that need to snatch one in the subway. This is outrageous. Something is awry here, and totalitarianism is uh, the biggest problem we're facing right now. And look what it's done to someone like Liz Cheney. She's got to be afraid for her life. We may have to be afraid for ours because there are folks that uh, do not value life. They really don't value American people and American life. They act as if uh, Americans are not of value. That's what totalitarianism is. They don't think life is important. Look at look at Brazil. Look at the graves from the virus. No, I tell you, yes. One thing, this is a sign of totalitarianism. It's a sign of having an uninformed, misinformed electorate. And now the struggle is how do we control them? How do we make sure that they're not reelected? We don't need any more Taylor Greens. We don't need that person out of Denver. This is outrageous. And 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 Brother Maurice called it a riot. That wasn't a riot. That was an insurgent. That was an attack on the U.S. government. And those people are guilty of treason. Nothing left. It wasn't a riot. It was a treasonous act. And they should pay for it. Okay. Before I go to uh, Brother Moses, uh, for those who have a question or comment. You can call in at 323-679-0841. Brother Moses, my question to you. Liz Cheney did a very good thing. She called Trump out for his unethical behavior. Is that a bad thing? Of course not. Um, you have to speak truth to power. And uh, you know, the fact that she had truth on her side, I mean, that's, we have to stand stand with uh, who are friends and who are enemies. And, the, and certainly, you know, when, when we have an alliance, when we speak in truth to power, uh, we have to stand behind it and defend it, defend the truth. And uh, if that means, you know, uh, we we the, we have to um, give honor where honor is due, and, and she's definitely due honor in this situation. Um, I... I I just know, you know, uh, we shouldn't have the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And, uh, and, and all these problems in the world are solvable if we could, if we could just get organized, uh, and, uh, and put our best minds and attention to it to each problem right now, if we could just focus a little bit on the Israeli war machine, the U.S.-Israeli war machine, uh, uh, I think that's the weakest link at this point. Uh, 
But um, I don't know. I don't want to start rambling. I'll leave it. All right. Thank you. That's a very good point, Brother Moses. The question in terms of the trust is committed against the Palestinian people is definitely something that's high on the agenda. And uh, that's something that we're going to deal with more in the future in terms of these atrocities that are taking place. Uh, but to Brother Anthony, uh, my question to you, and, as, and you know, I think about you know, uh, the treatment of Liz Cheney, and I think about the irony upon irony. Now, Cheney sought to embolden democracy, support the rule of law, and to prevent, prevent the rise of a despot who undermines democracy. Now, in your mind, Brother Anthony, shouldn't these actions be embraced? See, uh, if this was a true democracy, she would be. But uh, the thing is, though, uh, the U.S., uh, a careful analysis of U.S. history uh, shows that it has a very violent his- history. And that, uh, and, and, and those uh, who... Uh, who the uh, the ruling class feels are are dissidents who aren't who aren't loyal to U.S. policy, uh, you know, are persecuted severely, and uh, and there's a long history of that. And uh, and the thing about it though, and the thing about it though, uh, uh, Brother Maurice alluded to the fact that things. Uh, you know, that people feel that things are going to be different under Biden. Not as much as people think. Uh, Brother Anthony, you still there? Brother Anthony. But, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, bro, Anthony. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, but 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 the uh, but but there's subtle differences, like uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, and they and they real they're, they're merely reforms that uh, you know that serve as a smokescreen, like having an uh, you know an African uh, vice president. Uh, uh, ma- ma- making Juneteenth a federal holiday, you know those are uh, th- those are tricks, uh, you know to co- uh, you know to cover up you know uh, uh, reality, and we're falling forward hook, line, and sinker, unfortunately. And uh, but the hi- but U.S. but the U.S. has a long history of violence against people. That are uh, that go that that go against uh, you know the ruling class, and uh, you know and we uh, uh, we and the indigenous people of this hemisphere have borne the brunt of that violence, which is why it's uh, which is why people are, the media is so casual about it. We've borne the brunt of that. And uh, the U.S. has been heading toward uh, totalitarian authoritarianism for a long time. As a matter of fact, it's never been been, uh, truly democratic. 
Yeah, you know, Brother Anthony raises a very valid point in terms of the level of deception that's um, inflicted upon the American people. But despite these numerous, you know, lies, uh, it seems to um, uh, um, it seems to uh, uh, find a it seems to find a place of co- uh, consensus among many in American society. It's though uh, people are uh, somehow um, so comfortable with um, lies uh, that they actually crave for more lies. And so I find it very ironic, you know, that you have a man who's known for lying, that people actually embrace him as though he's some type of standard bearer in terms of what a human being should strive to be. So I think, Brother Anthony, uh, this, this irony in terms of this ability in terms of people in society, you know, to embrace that which is uh, unhelpful, that which is destructive and wrong, I think is very, very, to me, that's fun, extremely fascinating. Uh, but to Brother, Brother Maurice, let me ask you this, and I know you're going to weigh in heavily on this one, Brother Maurice. The question in terms of, you know, what role did Trump play in facilitating the riots on January 6th? There are those who take the position, you know, that uh, the role that he played was minimum. Uh, personally, in my position is that he played the decisive role in terms of facilitating those, 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 uh, those, uh, that insurrection on January 6th. What is your view, Brother Maurice? Uh, he played, uh, Donald Trump played a huge role um, as what Sister Eleanor called the intrusion or, 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 the, uh, or the, the coup, as what it is, the coup or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, you know, he definitely had, had, he had front row seats in, 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 into engagements and, and get, this is what he wanted, you know, to happen. He, and he thought, he, uh, in his mind, he, he obviously thought that he was going to, succeed in his power. I mean, obviously, because he didn't want to concede his power to Biden after Biden won the election. He was saying that it's the, the election been stolen and, you know, all of this hoopla, if you will, around it. So, yes, he definitely played a played a huge hand in this. But um, my bigger concern, and to speak to, to, to concur with Brother Anthony, we got to... <laughs> Uh, and, and I'm and I'm not trying to uh, undermine us, but we we have to be serious about our liberation, and we have to be serious about our our place in the, in the world. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump is is one thing, but it, it's a system behind all of these people who we talk about, and that system is imperialism and capitalism. And brother Hackey, you are right. You have to do the history. You have to do the research. Um, it's this is nothing new uh, with police killing us. Killing, killing uh, poor people, uh, class struggle. This, this is something that we must achieve. We must understand uh, class struggle. We must understand uh, and how capitalism works. Capitalism was produced from slavery. Um, slavery gave gave capitalist capitalists and capitalism its power. Colonialism in Africa gave its power to the Industrial Revolution in America, here in America. You're talking about Ford. You're talking about the Baron Robbers. That's a good name uh, for them because they were, were, in fact, indeed robbers. And I would not let up of the uh, J.D. Rockefeller going into Africa, getting petroleum and jelly. I would not let up of the Firestones going into Africa, getting the rubber, going into Liberia and the Congo, getting rubber, going into Ghana, getting chocolate, Hershey's chocolate. Mmm, that chocolate bar tastes good. The cocoa, and I'm not, I would not let up off of this. This is what we have to understand uh, what's going on. As long as capitalists exist, you will have, you will continue to have another Trump. You will continue to have 
uh, neo-colonialist Obama, <laughs> whether you have, have you feel about him or not. I mean, the symbol, like Brother Anthony spoke about June 10th, Sim- symbol- symbolism. We <laughs> we cannot keep fall- falling for the okie doke of symbolism, a, 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 a museum, a statue, oh, a first black this, a first black, we cannot keep falling for, for that, man. I mean, how 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 much is how long we, we what are we gonna how long how how long are we gonna keep falling for this, you know, falling for idealistic principles? Oh, he's black. He's the first this. Oh, she's the first vice president. She ain't give a damn about poor people, and she don't give a damn about Venezuela. She don't give a damn about people that poor people in Iran, and she don't give a damn about the poor people in Africa. How long are we gonna keep holding these people up because they the first something, and because? They look like somebody. Look like somebody. We don't even get along with some of the people that's in our family who look like us. But you want to, you want to say, <laughs> I'm just being real. But we want to sit here and say, oh, we want to embrace the first black this and the first black that. Come on, man. We got to get beyond this symbolistic, this idealistic approach, and we got to get through some some real materialist, uh, some some real materialist wins and, and, and struggles. We, we have to understand uh, the important importance of class struggle, because these people are not. They don't have a heart. They're not, um, Brother Moses, not to knock what you're saying, uh, these people are not going to look in the mirror. They're going to take the uh, mirror and try to stab, <laughs> with, stab us with it. They don't give a damn about looking in the mirror. These, you can't approach these people. I mean, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this in 1968 before they, they chopped him down, before they assassinated him. You can't, you can't come to these, these people don't have a morality. Uh, Brother Haki, we were talking about spirituality earlier prior, prior to this, uh, this show. These people don't have that type of spirituality that we were talking about, that the poor people, everyday people who are struggling, who don't, don't even look like they are struggling because they, they look, they are so, such beautiful people. We are, our, our people in the struggle are such beautiful people, and poor people, uh, African people, people all, all over this world, man. We are in a struggle. I, I, and we can talk about Trump all day, but just know that long, as long as we have this system in, in place, as long as we... Mm-hmm. Um, don't organize, don't study, don't understand class struggle. We're going to continue to have another Trump. We're going to continue to have another Trump after that. And we're going to continue to have all these people, Hitler, all these names that people we are, we are afraid of, right, <laughs> or we, we don't want to deal with. They're going to continue to pop up, like it or not, until we address class struggle. Okay, let me go next to Sister Eleanor. Now, Sister Eleanor, in action, this question will probably will make you a little bit uh, apoplectic, but uh, I'm going to ask you anyway. What role did Trump play in facilitating the riots on January 6th or the insurrection on January 6th? Well, um, I don't know about any riots, but I know about an insurrection. And we have a fascist in government because he has a, we have a fascist movement on the, uh, on, uh, on the move in the United States. These people voted for Trump, are fascists. So right now, our biggest job is to combat fascism, combat it. And Trump led this struggle. He led this. Look what he did a year before. In the District of Columbia, he had the nerve to go to the Rose Garden and tell people, look out tonight because my people are coming. And they did. They disrupted the demonstrations in the District of Columbia. And suddenly there was looting and rioting and burning. Trump told him to be prepared. His people were coming out tonight. He said to the blacks, don't worry, you black people, but you white people, you're going to get yours. 
And uh, so we've seen Trump while he's down in the in the bunker below the White House because people were peacefully peacefully demonstrating. So um, that fascist was the leader. He led his troops, and his troops came from all over the country. And they weren't the working class people that came from this United States. They weren't people needing jobs. These were some people that had private planes fly them in. These people weren't uh, folks looking, 400 folks looking for a job. They were 400 folks planning to take over the United States of America and have a new government with the fascist Donald Trump in charge. He led this insurgent, this resurrection, what do they call it, an insurgent, a, a, a coup against the U.S. government. We're downplaying what happened. And I think they like to use the word riot because that way it can look like something black people did in 1968 when Dr. King was assassinated, but that's not what happened here on January 6th. These folks were trying to take over the government of the United States of America, and they went to the place where government acts, where laws are passed and attempted to take over the U.S. Capitol. We had a man sitting up smoking a joint in Nancy Pelosi's office. They were smearing excrement around and strange chemicals. People died. This was an outrage, an attack against the U.S. government, led by Donald J. Trump. I hope I got his middle initial correctly. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, we brother we, we, yeah. Go ahead, brother. I just want to make a make a point. Um, and I just want to make a point about fascism being a product of capitalism and imperialism. And and just and I just want to make a quick point when we <laughs> the Eleanor like they were smoking weed. I, I, um, these, these people sniff cocaine, drink alcohol. Uh, our, our congressman and and I, I and I, I and this ain't no. And this is this is this is not no um this uh somebody just making up false allegations. This is true stuff. Um I I, I interned for the general Virginia General Assembly and I witnessed some of this stuff along in the General Assembly. They have whiskey bottles in their desk, cocaine and all of this stuff. So I just wanted to put that out there. But um uh, I just wanted the main point is that fascism is a product of capitalism. Uh, Sister Eleanor, let me go back to you real briefly, give you an opportunity to clarify something that you said. Uh, if I heard you correctly, you're saying that uh, Trump supporters, they were fascists. Um, do you really believe that's the case, or do you think that maybe there were those who were misled thinking that Trump really cared about them? I think that there were many misled people. That's the problem with fascism. If we look at the, what happened in, the, in Germany, it started out quite an innocent thing. And people thought they were going to get jobs and their rights were going to be upheld. So, yes, there are many uh, misled persons. That's why education is so important. Political education is so important. And that's why it's so important to engage folks within your community because uh, folks are really miseducated. And, and I thought that the computer age was going to enlighten people, 
but apparently not because depending on your algorithms or whatever they're called, you'll be getting just what you like to read and you don't get any objective information. And, and not only because of the technology, it's because of legislative changes that happened during the Ronald Reagan administration that did not support or uh, it uh, marginalized the integrity of journalists. In other words, you could take a view and support that, and they would call that journalism instead of giving true factual reporting. Let people develop their own ideas, but at least give them the information. But that's no longer required by law. Mm. So, Brother Haki, can I add something? Mm-hmm. Sure. When Sister Eleanor finishes, you can go ahead and add something, Brother Anthony. Right, sure. Finish your thoughts, Sister Eleanor. I'm I was sorry. I'm just simply going to say, yes, many of uh, the Trump followers are truly miseducated or misinformed people, and they are our brothers and sisters, and we 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 embrace them completely. But that's I'm not talking about those brothers and sisters. I'm talking about that 400. Uh, folks that were a part of that insurgent and attempt to take over the U.S. Capitol. A few of them may have been innocent bystanders, but others, I think, you know, they're a part of the military, the police force. I think these fascists were intending to infiltrate these uh, organizations, the, the police department, the, the military, um, and and I don't think they're so misguided. I think they have actual intent, and I and and that's the few, not the majority. I realize. So to answer your question, I guess the majority are truly just misguided. But um, we're talking about fasc- uh, fascists in the White House who spent four years there building a new fascist party. They literally took over the Republican Party. The U.S. only has a few parties, you know, two that are strong, and that's the uh, Democrats and the Republicans, the the Communist Party, the Libertarians, and all these other folks. Um, they're not substantial. The Statehood Party isn't a substantial party. The Green Party may be strong in Europe, but not in the United States. It had its own problems with with race and other questions. So we we function under a two-party system and had done pretty well. But now for the first time, and this two-party system was never divided and that different, believe me. There's no real difference between the Republicans and the Democrats until now that we've had four years of fascism, open fascism. Now, Ronald Reagan may have been the beginning of the downfall of America in many ways, but Donald Trump um, was the leader of that insurgence. I can't tell you how much it disturbs me that we allowed someone to literally uh, uh, not charging a president simply because he's a president with with the um uh these capital crimes crimes against the country against the United States of America that is treason and uh you know i spoke earlier about the environment and the fact that we see 
the worst heat waves in the United States that we've ever seen. And we see the infrastructure about to collapse in Texas. People are being told in Arizona to be careful. The asphalt is so hot it may um, cause you to have third-degree burns, and and they're having problems in Nevada and these these things. We need to create an economic stimulus to change this. If we put solar panels on everyone's roof and we begin to generate every roof that is reasonably available. We're going to change our carbon footprint, and we have to do it today. We don't have Okay, you finished, Sister Eleanor? We lost Sister Eleanor. Okay, Brother Anthony, go oh. ahead. Your, your response? Yes. Uh, I want to tie to what uh, – uh, Ellen, Sister Eleanor and Brother Maurice were saying. And uh, I want to uh, th- uh, throw this observation out. Um, she, uh, she said that, 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 that the insurgency was, uh, was made up of, uh, you know, po- uh, of uh, misguided people. From what I saw from the media, most of them were poor, which 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 raise a question in everybody's mind: Who financed this uh, insurgency? And and I don't think it was a coup, because and mainly because it wasn't backed by the military. Had no military backing, but. It was uh, carefully orchestrated because someone had to put uh, put up the finances to get these people from various parts of the U.S. to D.C. Not all of them lived close to D.C. They ostensibly came from all over the country, and most of them were poor. So, uh, so this, so, 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 so there was a certain amount of, uh, you know, uh, engineering done in order to bring this insurgency about, to use uh, Sister Lenora's words. But, uh, but, and I think, and and, and I think it, it, you know, there were some sections of the uh, bourgeoisie that financed that. Because transportation yeah, but, in the U.S. isn't cheap, so. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Brother Anthony. I think to some extent uh, the desperation, uh, the poverty, sort of makes them more amenable uh, to the influences of fascism. So I think whether they may they may not even actually understand in terms of what fascism is, but their desperation out of hope that somebody would uh, address their issues, I think maybe played a big part in terms of them participating in that January sixth. Insurrection. Uh, so I think since the Eleanor position was that uh, you know that most of them were in fact uh, you know uh, fascist, uh, but the general public generally they just you know, the large number overwhelming number of white people the seventy two million who voted for Trump are simply uh, misinformed in terms of what he really was all about. But have it, brother. Actually, actually, this next question we'll go to a next next topic. 
And recently I read an article in the, the, uh, out of the U.K. where it talks about the fact that Amazon destroyed unsold TV and lead tops. The article talks about they destroyed in excess of 130,000 items per week. Uh, now, interestingly enough, now the, the Amazon business model, when they talk about destroying these very new uh, items, rather than give them to charity, it speaks values in terms of, you know, how society is organized. In your view, Brother Anthony, why would anybody, as opposed to giving it to, 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 to people in terms of helping them along, why would they in turn destroy TV and laptops and other valuable kinds of electronics people certainly could use? Uh, the reason is uh, it's a symptom of capitalism in its advanced stages. And, uh, and, uh, and I think the Amazon model shows the wastefulness of capitalism as it develops. And, uh, and, uh, and the thing, and the thing about it though, I mean, um, they probably do it to keep the prices artificially high. In other, and uh, similar to, what, um, to what's done in U.S. agriculture, they pay farmers not to produce to, uh, you know, uh, to their fullest capacity. It, 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 you know, it, it, it's wasteful as hell, but it's a means of controlling prices. Uh, you know, Brother Maurice. That's what I'm thinking. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, you know, you know, Brother Maurice. I think what is what is what is interesting is that as Brother Anthony alluded to, uh, there's certain amount of profitability in terms of being um, anti-humane. Uh, in terms of keeping prices up, certainly one of the things you want to do, if you know, if you if you as a, if you destroy those brand new items, uh, you, that ensures that market prices remain high. The problem with if you give those to charity or to help people, then the expectation among the population may be uh, that the prices of these items may fall, which means that the people may not go out and purchase these items. So it speaks to the kind of ruthlessness in employed in, ter- in terms of capitalism. So speak a little bit about the kind of ruthless, ruthlessness employed when it comes to capitalism, particularly when it comes to uh, its lack of uh, concern for humanity. Yes, yes. Before I get to that, I just want to thank uh, uh, Brother Anthony for making a correction about the comment I said about it was a coup that happened in January at the White House. But I do want to make it clear that it was active. It was confirmed that it was active uh, military members and police officers who also participated in that uh, riot or I use (laughs) insurgents to to prevent any uh, additional confusion. Um, Yes, it, uh, it was confirmed that it was, you know, active military and police officers who participated in that insurgence on the on the White House. Um, but to your question, Brother Hackey, um, you know, <laughs> cap- let me tell you how vicious capitalism capitalism is and we and we and we talk about donations. We have bins around here, uh and they, I'm pretty sure they're all over the country. Um these yellow bins, you could donate clothes, whatever hand-me-down clothes you have, you can take them to that bin, shoes and all, and donate them. Well, some of these bins, if, if from my understanding and from my uh, uh, research, these clothes, these clothes that we donate get sent to Africa. It's a dumping, Africa is a dumping ground. 
And and what it does when these clothes get sent sent to Africa, not only that, clothes from say from a Super Bowl, like say if the the losing team has clothing that says that their team won the Super Bowl, if that team they they, they if they lose the Super Bowl, that clothes them clothes that clothing or that uh that merchandise cannot be sold. So what they do, they send it right to Africa, to the dumping ground. So basically, you would see T-shirts that say. Um, Kansas City Chiefs 2020 Super Bowl champions when it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won the Super Bowl, if that makes sense. But anyhow, make a long story short, these clothes get sent to Africa, and what do they do? It, shut, it shuts down or it the local markets, the local textile markets. You don't, in some, certain parts of Africa, you don't see us wearing our, uh, wearing our traditional garments, our kente cloth, our, uh, our traditional dashikas or what have you. You see us wearing American clothing, uh, clothing that was donated or clothing, basically clothing that was donated or dumped. And that jeopardized and that shuts down the textile, you know, markets over there or the local uh, markets in Africa. Um, it, it, it really is taking place. So capital, capitalism is vicious. And, 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 you know, when we talk about how they use, if I understand the question correctly, how, we, how they use donations or, or char- quote-unquote <laughs> charity, uh, capital capitalist profits off of that tremendously um off off of uh, ch- uh ch- charity um you know i just just want to just want to e- even when we those old commercials donate 50 cents <laughs> this child uh even even the 700 club with pat robinson he's a stone cold capitalist he had airplanes going to africa and liberia mining equipment pat robinson this guy the 700 Club, right here. Also, he's from Virginia Beach, from Virginia. This is what we are dealing with when you talk about capitalists. You're talking about making a donation. You're making a donation thinking that you're helping somebody. You're really not helping a damn thing. What you're helping is the, the continuance of, of exploitation on poor people. This is what's taking place. This is, what, this is what's going on um, when we talk about capitalism. This is what capitalism does. You look at commercials with flies and bugs. On 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 our children's faces in Africa, and, and you want to donate to that? <laughs> we gotta we gotta look at what's 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 behind that. Why 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 is it kids in Mozambique or Madagascar eating bugs and locusts? Because of the ongoing exploitation from the uh, from uh, Africom, which is uh, which is uh, under NATO, which is under the United States of America, European powers, the spamming, the ongoing wars. The, the killing the land, the locusts. That's why the locusts is running, is running rampant in, in parts of Africa because it is ongoing. This, this uh, uh, we, we talking about um, climate. Global. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead, finish. Go ahead, uh, finish. Oh yes. Well, I, I, I conclude, man. But just to answer your question. This is what capitalism does. It's, 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 it's an ongoing game going on all the time, and if we if we don't make uh, if we don't if we don't stand up as the masses of people to do something about it, it's 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 going to be, we're going to continue our detriment. And I conclude. I conclude. Okay, Sister Eleanor, is capitalism indifferent to life? Um, on some level, there's an indifference. I don't understand the question. Is it indifferent to life? 
Let me clarify for you, if you don't understand the question. If you deny people those things they need to subsist or to exist, uh, it's callous in its very nature. Uh, but certainly it contributes to the, to the, uh, to the um, debilitation or the death of those individuals. So is it indifferent to life? life? Um, there is an indifference to life that we're witnessing um, every day. An indifference to life, to human life, to the life of the planet, to uh, of the drought. When I talked about uh, uh, global warming, I only discussed the the United States. Brother Maurice brought up the the, the droughts and the locusts and and the things that are happening in in Mother Africa, because it's happening everywhere. Nowhere is exempt. From these atrocities, and yes, there is a a level of insensitivity. It's uh, it's it's uh, people are busy using their their corporate model to gain corporate success. They aren't thinking about the future. They're not thinking about uh, the impact it has on the global economy. They're not thinking about the impact it's having on people's lives, on animals' lives, on plants, on vegetation, on the soil, on the waters, on anything. It's insensitive. So we need to have a change in the corporate paradigm globally. And we can do it. Okay. And yes, there is an insensitivity. Uh, we're going to take a quick station break, and when we get when we come back, we'll start on the topics of today. Stay stay tuned. You listen to Africa on the Moon. Break down your ways to put one hand before.
Welcome back to Africa on the Move. If you have any questions, please give us a call, Article 323-679-0841. Now, we're going to start our topics for the day, and the first topic is January 1st, 1863, when New Year's Day meant freedom or emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation. The article talks about a Colonel Thomas Wentworth Higgerson. Uh, this guy, this Higgerson was a uh, minister, utility, Unitarian minister. He was an abolitionist. Interestingly enough, uh, Higginson supported the Underground Railroad. He even gave his material support for John Brown in his raid on Hopper's Ferry. Hopper's Ferry. Now, my, brother, my question to you, Brother, brother Moses, uh, interestingly enough, uh, there are those in the religious community who take the position that any time uh, a, a, a liberation struggle utilizes force, they're not recognized. But here is a religious man who's willing to support liberation of African people by any means. How do you explain that discrepancy? Because we're just all we're all just matter that thinks. And we are proud of condition and conditioning and words and reading and experience can bring us to a knowledge of the humanity and and that we're all part of humanity, and that we all have a right to exist. And um, you know, we learn we learn who our friends and who our enemies are as we struggle to survive in this on this planet. And uh, um, certainly, you know, I've I've, I've met I've, my my um, my ex father-in-law. When he, when he was alive, where he rest in peace. Um, anyway, when I was married to his daughter, uh, uh, he was like a John Brown to me. I mean, as far as I was concerned, in terms of affirmative action and uh, um, and and being a, being a, being about being about your word and uh, and your word having meaning. And uh, I don't know. I just I just know that. Uh, there are some good people and there are some bad people, and uh, Trump is one of the bad people. I'll leave it there. Thank you. All right. Well stated, Brother Moses. Well stated. Uh, Brother Anthony, uh, now, that's a real paradox. How is it that uh, Colonel Higginson can support liberation by any means, but today you have groups, uh, so-called uh, peace groups, who advocate that anytime people use violence to achieve liberation, is somehow uh, wrong. How do you explain that that irony? Okay. I think uh, that irony is explained by the fact that there are some people that make nonviolence a principle instead of a tactic in the struggle. And, uh, and, um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, um, you know, people like uh, Martin Luther King, uh, he made uh, he, he made nonviolence a principle instead of a tactic. That was an error he made. And uh, and the, but, but and the thing about it though, because he was a very principled person, he could not put, he could not betray that principle. And uh, and that's where he made a, uh, made a mistake. You never let your enemies paint you into into that kind of corner. 
and uh you know and um you know uh uh and uh our struggle has always been about liberation by any and all means necessary and uh and the thing about it though um and uh I should point out here that the mass emancipation proclamation didn't really give us our freedom. It was the 13th Amendment that did. And uh, and if people read the Emancipation Proclamation carefully, they will realize that it really was not, uh, 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 you, uh, you know, barely worth the paper it was written on, because Lincoln did not ha- uh, did not have any authority. Where the, uh, uh, the where the Emancipation Proclamation was supposedly taken uh, t- to take effect, otherwise there wouldn't have been a civil war in the first place. But anyway, uh, anyway, uh, you know, going back to the, I think, I think, uh, I think that people that take that take that stance, you know. M- m- make a mistake with uh, principles and uh, strategy and tactics in, in in the struggle. Okay. Brother Maurice, uh, Brother Anthony raised an interesting historical points in, around the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, of course, it didn't end structural inequality, but what was interesting about the Emancipation Proclamation, according to the article, some Africans saying my country tears of these at the celebration uh, during the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, there are certain suppositions that could be drawn, you know, from you know Africans saying my country tears of these. Uh, so, one of the suppositions is that it, it was a situation where patriotism overshadowed in points of history. What is your view, Brother Anthony? You mean Maurice? But, but Maurice, I'm sorry, Brother Maurice. Uh, I'm sorry. Can can you say the last part again? I I, I missed the last part. You kind of well, played I, it out. Sure. Let me let me repeat it. All right. Uh, during this article, it talks about during the, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation ceremony, some Africans saying, "My country tears of these at the celebration." Now, there are certain suppositions that could be drawn from Africans singing "My country tears of these." Uh, one of the suppositions is that uh, in order to sing "My country tears of these," you will have to have elevated patriotism over the importance of history. What is your view? Uh, yes. Um, uh, but th- this is free for the ancestors who were singing that line. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't want to make an excuse, but uh, our country, I'm, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a, a proud Pan-Africanist. As an African person, African's country uh, is Africa. Um, not, um, we can't claim... Uh, here in uh, America, because this is the native, uh, a Native American land. Um, so mm-hmm. what you know by singing that line under you, that's false patriotism. If you if you ask if you want to take it from me, because this is this is not this land was stolen. I can't be proud of a land that was stolen, and I was stolen from my my country. So how in the hell? I'm gonna have patriotism for a stolen country, and me not even being 
from this country. I'm, 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 my country, my home is Africa. Uh, I'm singing, I want to sing Tis the D to Africa. So it's, it's kind of hard for me to, 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 to try to make sense of, of having patriotism here in America of stolen land. And I myself was stolen. My, my ancestors were stolen from Africa. It's kind of hard to make that, make that conclusion. And also, this is speech for the ancestors who was singing that line uh, back then. Um, I think it was no different. We, we're catching hell, and we're looking for anything to to have hope about or hope from. Uh, if, if it makes sense. If, to try to make sense of this. When Obama became president, he was uh, symbol. It was symbolism. Oh man, oh, we got our first black president. People, people was crying. People was excited. People was 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 ecstatic because we had our first black president. But we did not know that HBCU was going to lose a lot of funding. We did not know that the people in Liberia, in Libya, Libya, was going to catch hell after Obama. We did not know that the the uh, Afrocom bases and drones was going to increase in Africa, if you understand what I'm saying. We did not know that. Those people was crying real tears. was not crying tears of joy. It was crying tears of pain and, and agony. Come on, man. Let's be realistic. So, so it's, it's, like I say again, it's kind of hard for me to, to make, that, make that conclusion. I hope I answered your question. No, you did. You did. Uh, Sister Eleanor, let me, let me come to you. Uh, a second supposition that could be drawn from, you know, Africans singing my country tears of these during the Emancipation Proclamation, and that is does a lack of historical awareness complicates navigating a future for African people? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, brother uh, King. Okay, does a, does a lack of historical awareness complicates navigating a future for African people? Well, there, yeah, there, it, it, it shouldn't, but there is a conflict. Uh, uh, again, um, as uh, Brother Maurice stated, we, we're a stolen people on a stolen land. We're the builders of the land. And, and in terms of this article, I, I would say not. In 1870, Black people, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the book was published in 1870, but uh, on January 1st, 1863, that proclam- emancipation proclamation uh, went into effect. African Americans uh, had already fought and I believe were already in the Union Army as well as the Confederate Army, and we were very much a part of the struggle. And the America that existed at that time literally had brothers and cousins because, remember, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sally Henson's not just a dream, and, and Phoebe wasn't, uh, you know, she was the mother of a uh, 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 half a dozen children for George Mason. And so we had all these kind of conflicts, brother against brother, uh, you know, sisters against sisters, and it was a much different America during the Civil War, and uh, definitely uh, uh, it was a nation um, 
of, of, of people who had uh, at that time lived together uh, or had been coming together since, uh, I guess, 1492 or before. If you read James Van Sternema, he says we came before Columbus. So um, if this is true, I would say, I, I, I would have to say that it was a matter of embracing their country and thinking about the future and the future being bright because their actions led to us being here today. And uh, we may have been uh, in a better position, but we can't say. But uh, we've come so far. In my lifetime, I, I, my family, my parents weren't able to even vote for president. Um, our, my family, we attended segregated schools. I'm not suggesting that, uh, uh, but, and it wasn't a problem so much with the segregation. It was just that you couldn't get new books. You had to get used books, used materials, or no books at all. And, and that's a problem right now. Uh, children not having books, using ditto sheets, not having computers. However, um, in, 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 eight, in the 1860s, I think people were dealing with what they knew, and uh, that includes all persons in America, and, um, and, and it was a struggle right then that hadn't even really begun for the indigenous people because the push, the real greatest push uh, of annihilation, I think, for the indigenous people began in the late 19th century when they just were pushing them further and further west. It was an outrage, but uh, a true genocide. But, uh, no, I think people were dealing with the information they had, and if you want to call that uh, uh, them being uninformed, definitely they were. The world at that time was uninformed, I guess we could say. There was little known about uh, any community outside of your immediate community, let alone, let alone your international heritage. And definitely that had been denied to African Americans in the United States. We were not allowed to speak our own languages. We couldn't use drums and other cultural artifacts that we bought with us in our hearts and minds. So clearly there was some loss of, uh, of knowledge and and, and heritage, but our ancestors to me stood strong, and they did what was right in their heart for the for their children, their their descendants not yet even thought about, and they brought me here today. So I I have to say there was uh, not a, a lot known about the world, but considering where the world was. Uh, a hundred and sixty years ago, I think they did a damn good job. And whether or not in that article, what they described was women of color with bright scarves that came out. They didn't talk about them singing the national anthem. They talked about their support of the of the Confederate Army, and they talked about uh, Higgins being uh, sent to the Sea Islands uh, where he was able or assigned to lead a black battalion. 
And uh, so I don't have any. Oh, I, I, I guess if you're talking about it, took uh, it said it took and waved the flags, which now for the first time meant uh, anything to the, uh, to these poor people. They suddenly arose uh, close beside the platform, and and strong male voices. Uh, uh, and they talk about the elders who into which two women's voices instantly blended singing as if uh, by an impulse that could uh, no more be repressed than the morning note of a song, Sparrow, the song, My Country Tis a Bee. Oh, Lance, I, I don't know what to say about, about that. That's history, and we have to take it on face value. I don't think I can really uh, – uh, I, I would be – Disgracing my ancestors and myself to say that what they did was incorrect. Uh, just, just to clarify, the article goes. On, the article says that some Africans say my country to be not all Africans. So clearly, uh, when you say that uh, some of them have an international understanding, that's not absolutely correct. Uh, there are those Africans during the eighteen during eighteen sixties who had a historical understanding of who they were and where they were from. So I just want to clarify that point. Let's go to the next article. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you for doing you That's true, brother. And, and and it's true. They said two women's voices instantly blended singing as if by impulse. And they compared them to song sparrows. And so you're right. And there apparently were uh, hundreds of people there. Uh, it just said that a majority of them along the way were uh African-American. They said women of color, so I assume that's African-American and Native American women. Right. That's correct. Let's go to the, let's go to the, next, uh, the, next, the next, uh, story, next story, our uh, next article. Uh, okay, The Wandering Elephants in China. Uh, I don't know what Brother Africa, the, I, I suspect that the, the, the relevance of this particular story has to do with global warming. But I'll ask you, and I'll start with you, uh, Brother Moses. What was your take on the, the wandering elephants in China? What did you get from that article? Well, I, I, for one thing, I have get that there is an actual genuine concern uh, in China for these elephants uh, because, you know, that doesn't have to be the case. And, uh, and so, um, you know, hopefully they will figure out how, what's best for the elephants and uh and you know, I, um, um, it, you know, it's a little, a little bit of unusual um, issue, uh, but uh, I'm sure they're capable. Of, the problem, the world, the problems of the world are finite. That's what. Well, that's what you know. We we have to understand the problems of the world are finite, and they they are they are able to be discerned and uh, dissected and. Uh, Solved, and uh, and we have to we have to understand that. And this question of fascism and all these questions, I mean, it's very very real uh, um, questions, not just ideas, but it has an impact in terms of the conditions uh, of the of the society. And um, so uh, I get I get a little aroused when we start talking about fascism because uh, you know. It's like I said, we live in a finite world, and right now, just like Israel is is a a key component in terms of the international struggle 
um, Donald Trump is a key component in terms of the, the domestic struggle, particularly within the U.S. of A., but also around the world. And, uh, and you know, like I said, the problems are finite. And, like, it's not like there's 20 different planets or something. There's only one planet. And uh, and this is what's going on, and we have to take note. And uh, and uh, you know, Hitler, Hitler was Hitler was Hitler, and I compared Donald Trump to Hitler. I mean, I'm serious. Yep. But anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, brother Moses, <laughs> that's an apt comparison. Listen, uh, brother brother Anthony, let me go to you next. What is your view? Did you get the opportunity to read the Wandering Elephants in China? I uh, I didn't have a chance to read this particular article in uh, in much detail, unfortunately. Well, let me ask you. Well, let me ask you this question: What is your view around deforestation? Because one of the things that this article talks about the animals leaving one point to go to another point, so they were they were they were leaving, and no one could decipher precisely why they were leaving. Uh, perhaps deforestation had a lot to do with it because they're used to being you know other you know, being have the trees to hide in and so forth and so on. So this question to the deforestation, is that a legitimate concern in, is in ecologically speaking in, in, in the throughout the world? Yes it is. Uh I think uh I think it I, I think it's a uh, it's a very serious problem. And not only de deforest uh uh deforestation but also uh the extinction of any animal. Uh, you, you know, uh, because uh, it has a very devastating impact on the infrastructure of uh, of that landmass that you're talking about. Whether you're talking about the the, the uh, you know the extinction of uh, of elephants in certain parts of Africa, or uh, you know, or, or or other animals throughout the world. Uh, you know, because uh, it disrupts the balance of nature that is so critical to uh, uh, to uh, to human survival. Uh, not only human survival, but uh, but 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 the environment in general. And so, I think it's a very serious problem. And uh, and uh, and uh, I think all the uh, all the pollution that's being caused by uh, by capitalism is having a devastating impact on the planet in general. And I don't think uh, I, I, and I don't think uh, you know the planet can put up with uh, two more centuries of capitalism, let alone the human life. That's that 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 sustains it. I concur with you wholeheartedly, brother Anthony. Wholeheartedly, brother brother Maurice. You know, earlier you talked about the cost, the escalating cost of wood. Um, recently, it was revealed for a thousand foot board, it costs one thousand three hundred and ninety one dollars. Uh, since the nineties, uh, that's a two hundred eighty eight percent increase in terms of the price for a thousand uh, foot foot of board of wood, feet board. Uh, so my question to you, brother, uh, brother Maurice, when you, when you talk about the, um, uh, the, the, the loss, of, loss of habitat and, and, and you talk about in terms of the, the elephant's attempt, you know, to flee to better ground, 
is there a relationship between those ele- elephants seeking a better a better a, a, a better place to live compared to human beings who themselves are leaving places around the world in, 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 to seek a better place to live? Yes, it, it is a comparison, but the hard. I, I read the article, and the difficult difficult thing that <laughs> um, that I had I had uh, a, a conflict with understanding. I mean, the article alluded to that it was human beings being a reason that the elephants left ho- left home, left their habitat. But they, the pictures that I had seen, it looked like they had walked right into to you know to populated areas where hum- where human beings occupy or live. But I don't know. I don't know. I digress, man. But uh, yes, to get back to your question, yes, it is. Uh, um, the animals are, are, are fighting like hell in, in Africa. Whatever animals are left in Africa, because the, the poaching or the hunting, the sporting, the gaming of, of lions and, and rhinos for the, for, the, for their ivory, for their tusks. Oh my God, it's 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 it's, it's unparalleled, man. So, I mean, brother Anthony, Anthony, you couldn't say it said it no better you know two centuries how, how much more can we take uh the climate change the uh the 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 um the desert lands all of this is coming from capitalism from exploiting the land like you said about wood prices going up where do you think that wood comes come from it's coming from cutting down trees you know mining the 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 land like and i i can't help but to talk about africa because africa is the, is the best example I mean, Africa is the most exploited country in the world. Uh, I mean, the most exploited continent in the world. I mean, the, the, the depths of, of mining, of holes, of, that's, that's why there's so much desert land in, in Africa. I know we're talking about China, but it, it, like I said, it's difficult to equate why the elephants is running away. Um, China is not, not to my knowledge, is known for animals being hunted like that it said in the article that the, the, that chinese uh look at the elephant as a holy animal so i don't think they will hunt these animals or kill these animals like unlike in africa uh you know animals are being killed left and right from in, in africa you know so i don't know man it, it, the article you know it's and it, <laughs> It, the thing I tell you one thing though that that was uh, that fascinated me was the drone usage of of the drone caught the, caught the footage of the elephants uh, leaving in, in herds and and, and you know in a huge you know in a pack uh, in a family or whatever in a, in a large group. But uh, I, I don't know, man. It's kind of it's, it's a unique article because you know in Africa, if this is Africa, we already know. It's like yes, yeah, so they running away from the hunting, the hunters. They wanted a way to try to get some land, food. We already know what's going on in Africa, but in China, it was kind of this was kind of unique to me. I don't know. Yeah, I know one thing that's very interesting though. Uh, when you talk to Brother Maurice, when you talk about the uh, the proximity to human beings that the animals are willing to to endure just to get to a better place. I find that uh, very interesting, and it speaks to the sort of real desperation these particular animals are feeling. Sister Eleanor, your article on wandering elephants in China. The the this is an example of deforestation and global warming, and as the article said, these animals can travel um, uh, several hundred miles to seek a, a new habitat. 
but what's interesting is that we saw, I saw photos of uh, elephants in Shanghai, as Brother Marie said, in the suburbs of Shanghai. So as the zoologists and the experts suggested in the article, this must really increase the stress level for the elephants. But uh, to see them resting, you know, a herd of elephants, eight strong resting, uh, the article also spoke about um, a, a possible um, other herds trying to do the same thing, and obviously they have to migrate. And they talked about the uh, the rapid deforestation and how it's 4.1 miles uh, uh, of forest and grassland. Uh, is this uh, per hour? Uh, and uh, if you're losing or per day? Well, pretty soon these animals have nowhere to go. And the only way these elephants seemed to be surviving was that the uh, people stood up and decided to feed them. And they're eating things like pineapples and corn when they normally would eat leaves and uh, uh, green uh, green foods, grass, and that sort of thing. And these are, uh, they say, one elephant can weigh 11,000 pounds. So the the issue is how are they going to feed them? And it's great that China considers the an, uh, elephant an uh, animal of fortune because animals live, elephants live in groups. They have families. They they mourn their dead. They are very loving and uh, patient animals. And it's phenomenal that they're wild herds. As the article said, you know, uh, many people hadn't seen wild herds. Uh, in, 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 in decades, we see domestic anim- elephants in India, and Sri Lanka all the time. But these animals are on the move because of environmental conditions. And in the global warming, as I said earlier, doesn't only impact people. It impacts everything on everyone on the planet, animals, birds, bees, Trees, flowers, grasslands, and this deforestation that's going on, as Brother Maurice said in Africa, this 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 still using old technology where you're doing burn, you know, slash and burn for for farming and that sort of thing. That sort of practice is should be outdated, and um, we need to teach new skills and reintroduce traditional foods so that we don't depend on this mass agriculture where we're producing these huge acreages of corn and other grains. I think there is uh, maybe a more productive way to eat. But these elephants are definitely letting us know that uh, the, the the decline in uh, natural habitat is having an impact. Therefore, they're on the move. And... Uh, uh, this is the first herd that I understand that has come to the attention of us outsiders, or the first herd came to our attention in 2020. But now we're talking about, I guess this is a second herd, and they're talking about possibly another herd that is on the move. And they quoted Tammy uh, uh, Matson, a zoologist and a research fellow at the University of Rwanda, and she said that uh, the uh, elephants can travel long distances.
instance, if there isn't enough habitat to meet their needs. And apparently that's what has happened here. Some may uh, be driven to move away to get access to these resources to avoid competition. So the article discussed two things. One, there were 188 elephants, and now there are 300. So at least the herds are growing. I think that's a good thing. And uh, uh, experts experts had warned that uh, this is a rare journey and could indicate that the the, uh, damaging consequences of human encroachment. That's what everyone, all the experts throughout uh, the world seem to think. This is just the damaging consequences of human encroachment on elephants, the elephant's natural habitat. And... uh, the Asian elephant population in uh, in China has ballooned, they said, from 180 in, ni- in the 1980s to 320, 21. So it is possible as the numbers grow, uh, uh, subgroups will begin. You know, the little families of elef- elephants will begin to search for new habitats where they can sustain their families. And, and they live in families, so... This is what we're going to need to expect with global warming and deforestation. We're destroying the grasslands and the forests everywhere. This is what humans are doing in every planet and everywhere on the planet, no matter what type of economy they're living under. So they, you know, we need to all take a step back and change our behavior, reduce our carbon imprint and stop this deforestation. We, we've seen Bolsonaro in Brazil pass legislation in the last several months that allows uh, further cutting in the Amazon of, of wood. And when we cut down these forests, we all are forgetting, and the capitalists and everyone else is ignoring the fact that we need air to breathe, and air is produced from these plants. They take in carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. If we don't have any plants, we only produce carbon dioxide. So what's going to happen? So this is a, a wake-up call for humanity. And I, I think it's a, it was a beautiful article. Okay, thank you, Sister Eleanor. We got about uh, 14 minutes. I'm going to start with this next article. And let's, let's go with Brother Anthony. You take the lead on this particular article. It's about Walter Rodney's death records to be amended in children's books placed in schools. Now, interestingly, in, in, in the U.S., in the 60s, the U.S. maintained a relationship with Ghana's nationalistic left, uh, left wing. Um, interestingly, this left wing was of, of, of in, 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 in Ghana, uh, nationalized bauxite. It also used U.S. IMF funds for economic development. In other words, it used the funds for its own benefits, not for the benefits of the United States. And that was allowed. Now, the reason why they went with the national, nationalist leadership, because they feared the uh, Cheddar Jenga, which was a Marxist. Now, Brother Anthony, I ask you, uh, what, there, there seems to be some uh, an irony at play here. It seems to me that both nationalists and both Marxists should have been in, in line in terms of views, uh, aligned in terms of views uh, when it comes to what is the best interest you know, of Guyana. But apparently the U.S. chose the, the, the nationalists over the Marxists. Why would they do that? 
because there's several uh, uh, there's several uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. officials and political leadership that are opposed to socialism. I think I think that's the main reason that and they that they, they, they fear communism more than nationalism. And um and I think I, I think that's the primary reason. I think the I think it's uh, is uh, positive that they re, they're revisiting uh Walter Rodney's and and his contributions towards um you know, uh, uh, Guyana and and other parts of the African diaspora's development, and uh, you know, I think I, I think that's a positive. I think that the you know the sad thing is it took so long for it to occur, but uh, you know, but I think it, you, you know I, th- I I think that I think it is a positive, and I think the reason why. Um, and I think the reason, another reason, is uh, divide and conquer tactic. You know the, uh, you know, favoring one side against the other. You know, uh, you know, keeps uh, you know people divided, and people when people divided, they can't that they they stay disorganized and disunified. Okay, uh, brother Moses, your your analysis. Why would they pick? The Nespers over the Marxists. Uh, what do the U.S. hope to gain by uh, actually recognizing the uh, nationalists as opposed to recognizing the Marxists? Brother Moses? Okay, I think we must have lost Brother Moses. Let's go to Brother, Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, your response. Why would they favor the in terms of foreign policy, why would they favor the, the nationalists over the Marxists, since they both directly are doing what they're doing for the best interests of their country? Uh, I think Brother Anthony hit it on the head. They, I mean, it's quite simple. The capitalists fear fear socialism and, and fear socialism and communism more than they do nationalism. Um, nationalism. You, you you can be a, a petty bourgeois and still be nationalist. You you, you see what I'm saying? Uh, you, you you still you still if, if you're you know if you 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 can be a nationalist and still petty bourgeois and still uh, and, and capitalist still can function <laughs> with 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 nationalists. With socialists and with with socialists or communists, they capitalists cannot function. That's why Cuba is on a hot plate for America. That's why Venezuela is on a hot plate for uh, America, because there's no there's no function of capitalism in those in those countries. They they want you know they want to they want the land, they want the oil, they want uh, you know the resources. Um, they don't want the people to have them. They don't want the masses to to have access or to have control of the of the of the means of production. So this is what we this, this 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 that question is straightforward. I mean, the answer is, is, is common sense. They 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 fear uh, socialism socialism more than nationalism because they would not function. Like I said, they still can function with national with nationalists. You have petty bourgeois who are national who are nationalists and you know black what they call it the black uh, black excellence and the 
and the black this and the black that, Target can function and sell Juneteenth items, <laughs> you know, uh, items that represent black nationalism, national culture, black history money. We still can sell, we still can sell Cadillacs, uh, have Cadillac commercials with black uh, athletes or black celebrities in them for Black History Month. So, yes, they definitely fear socialism. Class struggle is a must among the people of, you know, of all races. Like, oh, my goodness, can you imagine if if if, if we had majority of socialist countries, we would be more free? We, 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 we would have less stress and less struggles, unlike what we have under a capitalist system. It's a day-to-day struggle, paycheck-to-paycheck type of struggle. So, yes, they definitely fear socialists more than than uh, nationalists. Okay, brother, uh, Sister Eleanor, your uh, your response to why uh, we would show uh, uh, na- na- uh, nationalists over Marxists simply because uh, in the 1980s um, there was a real uh, a real movement of uh, of solid Marxists, educated people who uh, understood economics and the reason uh, we should have a uh, a government that supports the masses. And uh, uh, I think the U.S. that was during the 70s and early 80s, and I think uh, uh, there are many persons in government who were frightened of that. Not they weren't so much frightened that went against their needs. United Fruit and these other uh, corporations. It was against their interest uh, to uh, support these Marxist governments because they would have nationalized potentially certain uh, resources within their countries for the benefit of the people and and the, and the, and these business owners just couldn't support that and they have a strong lobby they lobbied congress and got the results they wanted and i think that's what happened but it is great that uh we have an opportunity to learn about uh this great leader and that his children and his wife will be able to uh receive the insurance monies they were denied because his death was not misadventure, it was assassination. Uh he apparently died from a, a bomb that he was given that exploded uh, that he thought was simply a walkie talkie and in effect it was a bomb and uh it exploded while he was sitting in his home. And uh that's how he died. And that was uh a true atrocity and uh he apparently was right there in the capital georgetown guyana and uh it's interesting how guyana has uh had so many problems um uh i i believe is is that the country that grows uh the mace and uh the spice nutmeg and it's an agricultural export, but I, I I believe the only reason we would have would have sided with anyone other than the Marxist government is because of corporate corporate interests in that country that were opposed to it, and they obviously had a strong lobby here in the United States. 
Yeah, well, you know, uh, you, you guys make a very good point in terms of, you know, uh, the distinction between, you know, uh, you know, uh, Marxism and, and nationalism. One of the things about nationalism, even though it's well intended, if your value systems coincide with the value system of the capitalists, they'll choose you every time. So the struggle is to be authentically different, to, get, uh, uh, to, to seek an alternative to capitalism. I think in many respects, unfortunately, nationalism tends to embrace or embody the, the tenets of capitalism. So I think in that regard, U.S. foreign policy will always choose the nationalists over the Marxists or the socialists or the communists. So we should be very clear on that point. That's not to disparage anybody who's a nationalist. It's simply to say that if, if you're a nationalist, then you don't understand of that, 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 that irony. Uh, very good job. Good job done, panelists. And uh, we're almost out of time. And, of course, I want to thank the audience for listening. And, of course, I want to thank the panel, you know, for, your, you know, for, your, for the information that you conveyed, you know, to the audience. Uh, it was very, very enlightening. Um, and I certainly hope people learned a lot about this. Hopefully, Brother Africa will be back uh, next week, and uh, he has a lot to say in terms of what's going on in Venezuela, and we look forward to hearing what, what he has to say. I'm Haiki, and as always, we'll see you next week on Africa on the Moon. I see the robin 
Nobody knows what to say. 